What's going on, everybody? This is AJ, your host of the Blue Dream Podcast. On today's episode, I sit down with a gentleman by the name of Mike Crawford. Mike is a retired law enforcement officer here from Glendale, Arizona. He did 20 years with them. He has prior law enforcement and firefighting experience uh, from his where he was born back in New Mexico, and then transferred over here to Arizona back in the 90s. So... The reason why I had Mike on is Mike is currently running for Maricopa County Sheriff in the 2024 election cycle. I met him a few weeks ago. I was at a veterans roundtable and got to talk with him, meet him, hear his thoughts, hear his plans, hear his vision, hear his mission and all that stuff. And I liked what he had to say. So I invited him to come on and talk to everybody and give his, again, give what he envisions MCSO, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, what it can be and what it would be under his leadership. This is a very long podcast. It's about three and a half hours long. And I do apologize to both my viewers and to Mike as well that at about the 45 minute mark, my camera that was facing Mike died. I, I don't know what happened. I'm not technically savvy. It just decided to pretend that it was recording and not record. But all of the good quality audio I do have. So the content is there. So for about the first 45 minutes, you'll see, you know, where we go back and forth. And then after that, I had to do a little thing where I just put a picture of him up. So for my audio listeners only, it won't bother them. But for the video ones, you're, you're stuck with just seeing this face after about the first 45 minutes. But I I will go ahead and put all of his contact information in the show notes. He can be reached at CrawfordForSheriff.com. But, uh, and I'll also have my contact information as always. So if you have any questions, so I hope you enjoy this one. And again, it's not often that we're a, someone who's running for political office sits down in long form content and lays out their plan and their vision and all that. So I, I hope you get something out of this. And in regards to that, this is an open call for any, uh, elected or, uh, aspiring elected officials and politicians, I'd love to have the other sheriff's office candidates come on and talk as well. So again, thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in and having a listen, and I hope you all get some get something good from this one. Take care. Uh, he threw some things out of the car, right? We're right there. He's throwing some things out the passenger side. They're along the, uh, the wall, the slow lane wall. We're 619. He's throwing uh, dope out the window. We got Bill's amount water coming out. 619, I copy Bill and Marijuana coming out of the window at 2328. All right, and we are live. Mr. Mike Crawford, thank you so much for coming down and making the trip. I'm, like, really excited to sit and talk with you about everything that we're going to talk about here. If you wouldn't mind just giving yourself a little brief introduction as to what you're doing here. So, mostly just to connect with everybody and introduce myself and let people get to know me and just awaken people to what's going on in, in Maricopa County and with the sheriff's race. A lot of people don't understand how important it is. And so let's start with that, though. Your yeah. name is Mike Crawford, and you're running for Maricopa County Sheriff. So here's the shameless plug. I'm Mike <laughs> Crawford. I'm tougher than lightning, and I'm here to fight for you. And that, that's for everybody. That's awesome. It's good to hear. And I, I met you about just a few weeks ago. Yeah, less than a month ago. Yeah, and I sat down. We had a, a small little round table at an office. And I even put a post up about you because I liked what I had to, what you had to say and what I heard. And which is why I was like, I've got to talk to you and get your information out to everybody. So the floor is yours. Yeah. And that round table that we met at was, uh, advocating for veterans. Um, I'm a big advocate for veterans. Um, and that was just one of the round tables that we're doing. Um, we've done one for, um, advocating and, raising awareness for the human trafficking and, okay. and the kidnapping that, that is just rampant going on. Um, the movie that came out is, is highlighting that. And, and it was 
we had already scheduled it um, before we had even gone to see the movie. And it was just the perfect opportunity gotcha. for that. Um, and a lot of people were just shocked with, with some of the numbers, um, some of the statistics that are going on. A lot of people don't know Phoenix is the number two capital of the world. Uh, for, for kidnapping. Sure. So before we start diving into numbers and the big serious stuff, let's talk about you and what led you to where you are right now. Oh. And let's talk about your, you know, let's give people like, so we don't have to dive. We can dive as deep as you want. Oh, but yeah. I'm saying, you know, let's give the people a background as to why you're here and what what led you to here in your career and your background, because so, it's a good one. Yeah. So the big sigh is it's a crazy story. Um, I'm an open book. I have nothing to hide. Um, so I was born and raised in Farmington, New Mexico. I'm, I'm a boy from the Southwest. Um, it was up in the mountains, up in the four corners. Um, small town. Very small town. Uh, um, still. Yeah, very. It's still one stoplight. Yeah. Um, it's a township. It's not even actually a city. Okay. And rural community, a lot of uh, farming, oil field, things like that. Um, near the Navajo Indian Reservation. I actually speak a little Navajo. I cool. grew up there. Um, got to know the culture and respect the tribal communities. Was a volunteer firefighter. Um Grew up as a volunteer. Uh, volunteerism is a huge part of my life. I started that at about the age of 14. Uh, was a volunteer firefighter until I joined the Air Force. Uh, left New Mexico. First time I ever f flew on a commercial air airplane was on the way to basic training. Okay. Lackland. Oh, Lackland Air Good Force old Lackland. Base. Yeah, San Antonio, Texas. And it was a great opportunity. Um, I, I love the military. I have s some of the greatest memories and, and mo most cherished memories of my life are the military. I wanted to go career. Um, they gave me everything I asked for. The military was incredible. That's awesome. What uh, was your AFSE? I was a crew chief. Okay. Uh, KC-135s and uh, B-52s. Okay. Was, was how it was assigned. You can go either way. Um, I got assigned to the KC-135s, air refuelers, tankers, pass and gas. That's what I did for a living. And... Um, it was great. I was a mechanic. I was a Harley Davidson mechanic. Um, in high school, I took, um, we had trades back then. Back then school. we did, yeah. Um, You're a little older than I am, but still. Small engine mechanics and motorcycle mechanics gotcha. in high school. And I love working with my hands. I grew up with my grandfather. Um, and he always worked on things, and I grew up doing that. And um, I have a great passion for that. I've, and it's continued through my whole life. I still do mechanics and build things and have tons of projects at my house right now. Um <laughs> So I went off in the military, loved it. Uh, and you know how the military works? Uh, it's, they Out of basic training, you get an opportunity to select your dream sheet mm -hmm. of what bases you want to go to. <laughs> so I selected all the bases in the southern United States, and I went to England for three years. <laughs> That's um, why it's called their, a dream sheet. military wisdom, uh, they sent me on an overseas long tour to England for three years. That was in uh, 1987. Okay. So uh, Cold War. So I got to England the week after the bombing of Libya. Okay. And my unit took part in that. Um, the KC-135 supported the F-111s that bombed Qaddafi. Then, you know, I was there for uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Cool. Which was an amazing yeah. point in history. Um, I was in non-commissioned officer school when Bush declared war on Iraq. So I was there for Desert Shield, Desert Storm. Uh survived all that uh, amazing part of my life um that ended um 
came back um, to the United States, got a dream assignment to Sacramento, California. Okay. A uh, small unit. We had five aircraft. Um, 41st Air Rescue, the PJs. Oh, yeah, yeah. The pararescue guys. Was it um, Red Horse or anything like that? No, we were the Jolly Greens. Okay. They painted big green feet on everything. Yeah. Those guys are crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yep. They don't, don't step exist. on the green feet. They don't exist anymore. Um, the green feet don't? The 41st Air oh, Rescue. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, that particular. Uh, 55th Recon. Okay. Um, I was a mechanic. I wasn't a PJ or special right, forces, understood. but we were assigned to them. So it, it, it's all part of the same team. No, yeah. you're not jumping out of the plane particularly, but without you, it doesn't, the mission doesn't happen. Right. Stolen valor is very important to me. I don't want to misrepresent who I was or what I did. I was a mechanic and, uh, but I was assigned to special forces in a way, that, uh, air force. And that's, and I, I do yeah. the same thing. I say, I was a vet that stayed in a skiff. I, I it was in a bank vault. I didn't go overseas. Like yeah. I'm not trying to be Billy badass here. I'm just trying to say that I've got a commonality with a bunch of veterans. Exactly. And, um, it was nice. It was, it was really interesting. We were just talking a minute ago before we started recording. Um, I sat next to, uh, Congressman Eli Crane last night. He was a Navy SEAL on uh, team three and what an incredible young man. And he was obviously special forces and i kind of nudged him and you know kind of joking around with him uh, you know hey we're both special forces <laughs> and i'm i just kidding you know i i let him know you know i was a mechanic and he says no you guys were more important than we were you kept us running you know our vehicles if without our vehicles we couldn't go you right know? so but anyway so uh came back to the states i was assigned to uh Sacramento, California, went on a TDY, a little temporary duty assignment to Florida. And I was at Patrick Air Force Base. It's just south of Cape Canaveral. Okay. Cocoa Beach, Florida, yep. Satellite Beach. Beautiful assignment. Uh, we're there for a week. Um, I'm on the flight line working on my aircraft. They call and say, hey, there's a storm coming in. You guys need to get off the ramp. Happens all the time. Rains a lot in Sacramento, too. No big deal. Closing up the airplane. I'm closing the doors. And I woke up in the hospital. I had been struck by lightning. Really? That's and, insane. Uh, so they apparently, um, they'd gotten me to the hospital in time. My crew chief and uh, engine mechanic were upstairs. And when the plane was struck, I was touching the plane. Upstairs, like in They the were plane? in the cockpit. Oh, okay. Uh, directly above me. It's a Boeing 707. Gotcha. It's a I don't very know large aircraft. airplane speed. So yeah, when no, you say like upstairs. They were, they were up in the cockpit. And um, we had actually just refueled. Um, and we were waiting for another truck. We'd put about 70,000 pounds of fuel on. We were waiting for another truck. And uh, the tower had canceled our truck and told us to get off the ramp. So we were closing up to leave. We were actually going to go to the movies, I think, Terminator, or one of those movies back in that day. It was um, July 10th, 1991. And A day you will never so forget. That pretty much ended my military career. I was active duty for four years and seven months okay. on a six-year enlistment. Um at the time, I didn't see it as a blessing. Um, it was pretty painful. Yeah. Um, when you get electrocuted like that, uh, normally, like when you bend your arm, one side flexes and the other relaxes. Okay. But when you get electrocuted, both sides, bo all the muscles flex okay. and flex hard, and it can crush your bones. Wow. So depending on you know how it strikes you, lightning's kind of interesting. It just kind of jumps around, um, and it'll hit things and miss things it through your body as it travels through you and it entered through both hands traveled through my arms they believe it skipped from my elbow and hit me in the neck okay and then um but it traveled all the way through my left they're not positively sure but um i had a metal retainer bonded to the inside of my lower 
teeth because I had just got my braces out. Um, it melted the wire and um, came loose. It burned my tongue, um, blew my glasses off. Um, the muscles on both sides of my spine flexed, uh, as I was describing, and um, I have three compression fractures. From the lightning strike They're itself? They're called wedge fractures. Okay. Um, to three of my thoracic vertebrae, and they're still that way. Wow. I have nine compressed discs in my back and neck. Um, a lot of injuries from that. Um, and then, you know, um, your internal organs don't take electricity very well <laughs> no, like that. So no. um, I have arthritis in every joint in my body. It's called body-wide joint pain disorder because they just don't have any better name for it. Gotcha. Other than, dude, you're really messed up. Body-wide um, pain joint disorder. Um, so I, I have military disability from okay. it. But... I'm not a quitter. I don't know if I just don't know better. I'm just tough as hell. Um, I'd like to think so, but I'm not very self-deprecating that way. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I just don't quit. Yeah. So um, I'm just not built that way. So I went back home. And, uh, the military let me out. Uh, honorable discharge, everything. I asked to get out because I, I couldn't continue my job. I couldn't fly anymore. What was... At that point in time, what was your capabilities at? 50% of what you were able to? So I'm 90% disabled. Understood. Understood. Uh, rating for okay. the military. Um, the biggest thing that, that kept me from doing my assigned job and duties, I picked up a heart murmur. Oh, okay. So I couldn't fly. I couldn't pass the okay. flight physical. Okay. Understood. Um, and then, of course, broken back. Um, I it blew Whenever I got struck, it apparently blew me backwards, and I hit the nose landing gear. And there's two large actuators on the nose landing gear that are hydraulic and that's what turns the nose gear okay. so they can turn when they're on the ground i caught one in the back of the head so i caught a traumatic brain injury from that um ptsd obviously yeah. um uh, it's a traumatic thing to go through Very. Um, most of it is uh was centered around um it they call it extreme weather anxiety so obviously um in extreme weather like lightning storms and electrical storms they used to upset me pretty bad. Understood. I, I didn't like to be outside. Um, static shock, things like that. Okay. You know, you reach for a light switch yeah. and, and it pops you. You know, most people are like, ooh, hey. <laughs> um, sometimes that would put me down for two days. Okay. Um, but I've gone through a lot of therapy and the VA has been amazing. And that's it's awesome. helped me a lot. Um, that's, that's different to hear. Oh, yeah. But that's good to hear. Therapy is amazing. And I went through EMDR therapy. Okay. If anybody's ever been through that, wicked awesome. Um, basically, what PTSD is, is a memory that's tied to emotion. Yep. And the EMDR therapy severs the emotion from the memory. So just say, for instance, you're driving a car and somebody pulls out from the side of the road and you get in an accident. Then later on, when you're driving down the road again, you know, everything's healed up and you're fine and you're in a car again and you're driving down the road and somebody from a private drive pulls up and stops and you see him and you react with fear no. from that memory of what happened. That's PTSD. That's a post-traumatic stress reaction because you remember the previous no. collision and you've reacted with fear. So there's emotion tied to that memory. And whenever you go through the therapy, they sever and separate the fear the or that emotion of it all from that memory. So you go through the therapy and then hopefully 
through the therapy after that you're driving down the road and you can see somebody pull out and stop at a stop sign and you can remember the previous collision but you're not afraid gotcha and you're like oh okay they stopped i'm good you know so with me um now if i reach for a light switch and it shocks me you know you walk across a carpet mm -hmm, and you mm -hmm. build up static electricity which is happens to everyone and you walk up and, and it and it shocks me i get the pop you know and now i'm like oh hey <laughs> got me right right but i've been able to switch it into a positive and it almost recharges me now okay you know i, I can see it as a positive thing so and, and so i i don't want to be like my adhd kicks in and we go in a million miles an hour but you've mentioned you know, having dealing with the tremendous, we're not even to, to what's yeah. alleged law enforcement yet, but I want to I want to interject a question here. And it's a question that came up uh, from within the cannabis community. So EMDR therapy, therapy in and of itself, I'm a huge advocate for therapy. I've never done anything else besides normal talk therapy. I haven't right. done EMDR. I haven't done psychedelics. But people are asking, what are your thoughts on psychedelics being used for therapy and also decriminalization? So as far as psychedelics go, I really don't know anything about it. Okay. Um, Fair enough. And I'm just dead honest. Um, psychedelics, I have no idea. Okay. As, as far as marijuana goes, uh, cannabis, I know um, it's helped a lot of people. And I'm for that. If if it helps, I'm for it. Um, I'm, I'm a very faithful, godly person. And... I believe that everything that's on this earth was placed here for us to use. Um, the Lord has provided everything for us that we need here. And everything against us is us. Uh, we get in our own way. Agreed. We get in our own way with everything. So everything that we need for our bodies, our soul, our spirit, and for each other is has been placed here for us to use cannabis was placed here for us now you could say the same thing for mushrooms right. and psychedelics and everything else but i don't know much about okay those. i and, and fair I'm enough just being dead honest i I've, I've never used mushrooms or anything like that so I, I have no idea i've heard you know like we were saying you know joe rogan and mm -hmm. those guys i've mm -hmm. heard them talk about it and i've heard um they've had some amazing journeys and some amazing developments and awakenings using those types yep. of things. But I honestly, I, I've never spoken to anybody personally that's used them and has been on one of those journeys or um, had those type of developments. So I don't know. Gotcha. Gotcha. But um, with cannabis, I do know people that have used them and have had amazing yeah. help from them. Some people have tried it and it just didn't work, but everybody's different. You know, everybody's chemical balance is different. Um, some people can use aspirin and it works. Some people it doesn't, you know, but aspirin is a man-made thing. Right. So, you know, that's a pharmaceutical. Um, that's... It's a pharmaceutical thing. Um, CBDs work great. Mm -hmm. um, I am retired law enforcement. So if I wanted to, I could use cannabis. Right. I choose not to okay. because of I am running for sheriff. Right. And right. I don't want to. Okay. It, it doesn't look right. Um, for a lot of people so and honestly i i really don't need it but i do use some cbds like lotions and things mm -hmm. like i was mentioning um with my arthritis sometimes in my hands and my knuckles uh, my fingers get very painful and there are some cbd lotions and 
um, concoctions, yeah. I guess you oh, could yeah. say, um, that, that work very well to help with the joints in my fingers and my hands and my wrists. As you can, I just barely move my hands and fingers and they pop and crack all the time. So, But those do help. The one thing that annoys me about what I understand and know about law enforcement, and it unfortunately is the reality in which you just said, because I... In 2018, I started using medicinal cannabis for my back pain. Correct. And again, we talked about it. You have you have back issues and pain and all that good stuff. And, you know, and I've got the back injury and all that. And when I started using it is when I started to, I stopped using alcohol completely and started using it for the back pain, but then also started recognizing that I was having psychological positives and I was having, you know, good experiences and dealing with my emotions and actually connecting me to my emotions and having a good outcome. And so it annoys me that if you, if we sat right now and I poured you a glass of whiskey, I don't know if you drink or not. So if I poured you a glass of whiskey and we were drinking it on this podcast and the whole world would see, nobody would bat an eyebrow. Nobody would bat an eyebrow, a Coors Light or whatever. Nobody would bat an eyebrow. But if I started sparking up a joint and handed it to you, the whole world would lose their minds. And it's like, but which in the part that I'm trying to do and bridge the gap is show like, no, actually, you should be using the cannabis and putting the alcohol down. But we can't make that switch yet for some reason because it's just not accepted. Well, and some people, some people will say, oh, that's not, that's bullshit. That's crazy. Well, here's an exact example. And Sorry to bring up Joe Rogan again, but Elon Musk was on his right. show. They were drinking, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've seen so many of his shows, but I think they did have some whiskey. I think so. And they were drinking some single malt. Yep. And then they sparked up. Absolute outrage. Out, and he had to go through drug testing for the federal government and all he kinds of bullshit. He was targeted by the SEC yep. because of he smoked not even a full joint. Oh, he took a puff. You gotta be shitting me, right? Man. And really, and, the federal government came after him. And now that I I, I use cannabis, it's criminal. stupid. It is stupid. It's criminal. Yeah. Now that I use cannabis on a regular basis, yeah, and I understand how it affects me. It's like, no, this is a way better alternative to alcohol. Oh yeah, way better alternative. Like I, I don't even touch alcohol anymore. I'm California sober, so to speak. Oh yeah. <laughs> so and and this is this is gonna sound crazy. Well, maybe, maybe not, but alcohol is a poison. It is a hundred percent. Yeah. Alcohol is a poison. So, and, and the easiest way I can explain it is, you know, people say, you know, um, you've heard, um, oh, I, I broke the seal whenever you're drinking, yeah. you drink yeah, a couple yeah, of beers. Yeah. Oh, I broke the seal. What that is in, in my understanding. And I was a DUI motor for a long, long time. And we'll get into your police background here in a moment. So my understanding chemically in your body, your body's reacting to dump the alcohol mm -hmm. out of your system. So it start, which it doesn't work that way. You have to metabolize the alcohol out, but your body reacts and it's trying to dump that alcohol out of your system. So you start urinating like crazy and you're basically just dehydrating yourself. Yeah. But that's why you pee so much whenever you drink alcohol. <laughs> when you break, quote, break the seal, your body's trying to get that poison out of your body. You don't do that with marijuana. No. Cannabis you, doesn't do that. You drink a ton of because alcohol. Because it's a natural. A ton of water. It's a natural thing. And, and that's the part that, so I was also asked the question again, I, I, I want to go into your yeah. law enforcement career. So yeah, let's, sorry. let's, let's, no, no, no. It's, it's my fault. I'm a tangent guy too. <laughs> I have ADHD. Like I'm bouncing around all over the yeah. place. Yeah. No, we're going to be in a world of hurt here in a few minutes, yeah. but um, okay. So 
military service. He said, and then now you left off on, you went to EMDR therapy, which helped with the PTSD yeah. of all that good stuff. Well, that was just last year. So let's go all the way back okay, to so let's go all the way back. 1992. I got out of the military after uh, my uh, lightning injury. Um, I healed up. Um, I was in, so I got struck in, in 91 and then uh, healed up from that. Uh, I was back in California, healed up from that, um, asked to get out of the military. They processed me, processed me out, went back home, got hired with the sheriff's office. Back um, in farming, back in farming, back in New Mexico, uh, where I grew up. Um, I worked for the San Juan County okay. Sheriff's Office for five years. In that time, with the sheriff's office, um, I was a patrol deputy. You know, you got to start out on the road. Uh, my first FTO was a former New Mexico State Police officer. Those guys are badass. Those New Mexico guys would just shoot at you. There was a there was a everybody. time and a place that they would just shoot at you. They shoot everybody. I remember I was on the Arizona side yep. and they DPS would be like, just stop and let it go into New Mexico. You get close to the New Mexico border, you call stop. NMSP, you call them, and uh, as soon as they hit the border, they get shot. Yep. Yeah. So they still don't play. Uh, <laughs> those guys are uh, the academy for all of New Mexico is in Santa Fe. It's elevation 7,000 feet. No joke. Yeah, you're going to be good the at running. The sign is right across the street from the academy. It's 7,000 feet elevation. I went in the wintertime. <laughs> Don't do that. Um, we ran a lot in the snow through washes, um, and it was tough. So you're either a cadet or a recruit. Okay. New Mexico State Police are recruits. Okay. They shave their heads. They put them in the black pants without the stripe. You have to earn that silver stripe that they wear. They get the boots and the whole deal. They're on one floor. And every other agency in New Mexico is a cadet. They're on another floor. They do not mix. Yeah, they're they're. It's just like, and sorry, Marines. They treat them very much like they do Marines. Understood. They're. It's very very tough. Um, with and as far as I know, they still do this. If you're a New Mexico State Police recruit, if you fail out or they fail you out or you leave the academy, they hold a funeral for you. Oh wow. There's a grave with a cross. They take your nameplate off your desk and they put it on the cross and they hold a funeral service for you because you are dead to them. Wow. I would hope that would be for like academic dishonesty or stuff like that or they, everything. Everything they're just done. You're dead to them. People come over because their main headquarters is there. Admin comes over and stands around and they hold a funeral service. Wow. It's no joke. But anyway, so I went to the sheriff's office. Um, Went through the academy and everything. Uh, had a great time. Um, was a patrol deputy. And then um, I was assigned to a DEA task force. So okay. I was a special agent with the DEA. Interesting that I'm here. Um, but it gave me a lot of insight. Um, I was undercover for a little over a year and a half. HIDA? And Were you on the HIDA task force? Or was this just something it's else? It's a region. Okay. Region gotcha. 2 Narcotics is where I worked. So it covered basically Farmington, Aztec, Bloomfield in that county, and then Gallup and um, Grants okay. area. So a lot of reservation. I was cross-certified onto okay. the Navajo Indian Reservation. We worked some undercover operations on the, on the nations, which was handy because I did speak a little Navajo. Um, I still do a little bit. I've, I've lost so much because yeah. I've been down. I've, I've been away from my people for so long. But it gave me a lot of insight into how the federal government uh, law enforcement works okay. and how it doesn't work. Um, it was pretty disgusting, honestly. Okay. And it was really dirty. And I couldn't do it anymore. I had to, I had to leave. 
I, I asked to leave. Um, it got to where I'd go home and take a shower and I just couldn't wash it off. No. And, um, what were some of the things that were bothering you about it? So the biggest thing that pissed me off and just disgusted me and I morally couldn't do it anymore. Um, so let's say you've got a guy selling marijuana to cancer patients, and this is kind of a gross misstatement, but, and it, it's kind of overblown, but this explains it pretty well. Let's say you've got a guy selling marijuana and, um, to just, you know, regular everyday people or, or cancer patients or people that need it for medical reasons. This is, you know, back in like 93 before medical. So marijuana it's all bad, of, right? It's all bad. It was, it's everything all was illegal and right. everything, you know, back then, but let's say it was for good purposes, somebody suffering from whatever. And, um, but he's just selling some joints here and there. And you've got some guy selling cocaine to kindergartners, let's say, obviously that's a gross overstatement, right, right. but, um, the guy selling cocaine owes money on everything and nothing's paid off. He's living in a trailer in a trailer park and he's got a beat up Chevy pickup that he owes money on. But the guy selling marijuana joints um, here and there is um, his car's paid off. Say he's got a nice Corvette mm -hmm. and it's paid off. Mm -hmm. We were directed to sell and make all of our arrangements in say Safeway parking lot or a grocery store parking lot or everything so that they had to meet us in their vehicle. So it was a quote furtherance of the crime. You're talking civil asset forfeiture on the nose. Yep. Um, I wasn't allowed to go after the guy selling cocaine because we weren't able to take away his beat up Chevy truck because there's no money, money. On it. and we weren't able to, ticket and my boss wanted to drive the other guy's shiny corvette because we could seize it so i'd have to go after the guy selling a couple of joints so we could seize his car and the guy selling you know kilos we wouldn't work that case it was it was not a priority because there was nothing to seize it was infuriating it's all about the money it pissed me off no now, obviously, that's, you know, a little grandiose story, but it's not far from the truth. I can back up what you're saying. We got a call to do a, a whisper stop for the feds, and I stopped the vehicle and then did what we needed to do or were instructed to do. And then the agent came up behind me who was an ICE agent. He was a federal agent, so all under the same authority. Yeah. And he was driving a one-ton Dodge Ram, brand spanking new one-ton Dodge Ram pickup. That was probably back then, back in like 2010 or 12, yeah. an $80,000 truck. And so we were chit-chatting on the side of the road, and he told me that he wanted that truck. So they exact same thing, and he busted him. The dude brought a gram of weed to, to show, as you know, show the money, show the drugs. And they, they arrested him and they seized the truck. And the agent specifically told me the story. He's like, yeah, man, we wanted this truck. So we went after him and exact same story. Yeah. So you're not, you're not, you're not exaggerating. Yeah. I not, couldn't do it anymore. I understood. So I went back um, to patrol for a little bit. And then I got assigned to um, the civil division because sheriff's office works criminal and mm -hmm. civil things. And um, I was the extradition fugitive deputy okay so i hunted bad guys bad bad guys and i did all the extraditions for the sheriff's office so i anybody with a felony warrant that got picked up in another jurisdiction anywhere in the united states i would go get them and bring them back to meet 
to meet justice, you know. So I'd fly all over the country and bring people back or drive, whatever. Were you with the marshals at all or just through the, through no, the department? it was just me. I was a one-man show. Gotcha. So I did that for about nine months. And I'd been with the sheriff's office for five years. I was topped out in pay. And it was terrible. Sheriff's offices are notorious for not being the best paid agencies. But sheriff's office is a passion. Um, it's, it's, it's a different law enforcement agency than any other. It's just different. You know, there's city cops, there's sheriff's offices, and then um, there's the state police. You know, troopers going to troop. <laughs> I love my troopers. Um, I, we, you know, and it's just like in the military, Air Force gives you know, Navy a hard time, you know, and law enforcement's the same way. Um, we, we dig each other all the time. Um, and it's out of love. And it's same with police and fire. Um, we bag on the fire department all the time. They bag on us. That's the best fire department jokes I've ever heard. I heard from the fire department. That's because everybody's jealous and everybody that's a cop was like, we should have been firemen and we're just going to harp on you now. Well, I got lucky. <laughs> so I've kind of done it all. Um, I was a fireman, a volunteer, which is the best way to do it. Um, it's like college basketball versus pro. Gotcha. You know, college does it for, out of passion. Right. Pro does it for the money. Um, but I love fire service. I love, you know, the military, every branch. My uncle was a uh, World War II and a Korean vet. He got two Purple Hearts on Iwo Jima. I love my Marines. I take Marines with me everywhere Amen. I go. And thank God for people that join the Marine Corps. Amen. I didn't have to. <laughs> um, but, I mean, every you know, all first responders, all military, God bless you, every one of them. And uh, I love them all. And we're all family. Amen. But... We got to keep up the banner. We got to, you know, because that's what keeps us fueled. But so anyway, I, I, um, I was looking for better opportunities. Um, when I was a kid growing up, we used to run home from the bus stop. Um, I grew up on a county road out in rural northern New Mexico, and we'd run home and watch Chips and you know Night Rider and uh, BJ and the Bear. You know all the good shows back then. And uh, I always wanted to be a motorcycle cop. Okay. I'm brain damaged. I know. I heard <laughs> I you and Frank. That, that um, TBI is coming in. I heard you and Frank talking. <laughs> and uh, the shiny boots and, and the two wheels, man, I, that was just, that had to be the coolest. I've been on a motorcycle since I was five years old. Okay. And so I was looking around, and like I said, I was doing extraditions all over the place. Gotcha. And one trip i was you know a lot of people from farmington get arrested down here in from maricopa county and i did a ride along with glendale pd and we were riding around and man they were chasing bad guys and it was just like tv and um we went into the jail well i was riding with a deputy or i'm sorry i was riding with an officer uh bill johnson i love that guy what an amazing cop was he a deputy as well no um, not that I know. Of. Okay, he may have been a long time before he got with Glendale. Okay. I can't remember. Different guy, but he was with Glendale for a long time. He, may, God, he may still be. Um, Bill's such a great cop. What a passionate, amazing guy, and uh, and hell of a guitar player, by the way. Um, <laughs> but he's he's such a great guy. And um, oh wait, I'm mixing him up with somebody else. Anyway, he uh. <laughs> such a great guy and when i was doing the ride along with him we went into the jail and we're sitting there and it was a funny ass thing back then everybody called everybody jim yeah 
And, hey, Jim, what are you doing? Oh, I'm good, Jim. How are you? And it was just funny because, you know, cops, we all have our last name mm-hmm. on, our, on our shirt. And we don't, we don't reveal our first names. Right. So it was just the joke. Everybody just called everybody Jim. And, um, hell, I was on a squad, and my first name's Mike. There were five Mikes out of seven guys. <laughs> and, but we all called each other Jim. And it was just a joke, but... It was just banter, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we're in the jail and everybody's joking around and they were having so much fun. I was like, damn, I got to be part of this. And they were a family. And, you know, the sheriff's office where I came from, we had 75 sworn deputies. It's a little itty bitty department. The whole county, I think the population of San Juan County at the time was around 200, 220,000 for the whole county. And it's a big county. Um, not quite Maricopa, but pretty big. Gotcha. Land-wise, land but not wise. people-wise, Yeah, a lot of it was barren desert. A lot of it was reservation that yeah. we didn't patrol. But, you know, 220,000 was the whole thing. Hell, Glendale's 220,000, mm-hmm. just the city of Glendale. Um, well, hell, it's probably more than that now. But um, Glendale was a pretty big department. And I'm like, man, these guys are having so much fun. Then I saw how much they were getting paid. I was like, you got to be kidding me. What so year, I, what year about is this roughly? This was uh 97. Okay. All right. So, um, I tested, I put in my application and everything handwritten, I think in pencil. And I, 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 I applied and they were, they had eight positions open, show up at the testing in Glendale, there were 3,000 people showed up at the testing. And I was like, oh, crap. I don't have a shot at this. I'm just a small-town podunk deputy. I got hired. I was like, right on. <laughs> so started with Glendale in 97. They made me go through the academy all over again. So that. after my lightning injury, I've been through two police academies okay. with a broken back and all my issues. I'm, I guess I'm pretty tough. Um, I just don't quit. Did you go to Aaliyah? Yes. And Aaliyah is was one of the most physically demanding because it's built into the side of South Mountain. Oh, yeah, up and down South Mountain. Yep, so you're so, running up and down that And I day. blew out a knee, so I had to recycle and start again. Not all the way at the beginning. Right. I think it was a, around week nine, so I had to start again. So I was in two academy classes and finally finished and uh, made it all the way through. And, yeah, oh, South Mountain, <laughs> PTSD flashbacks. You're right. No, I get Up it. Up and down that shale hill. What the hell was that thing called? Uh, trail run? Yeah. Well, the trail run was fun, but oh, hemorrhoid hill. Okay. Um, the shale hill that you had mm-hmm. to go up and down. Oh, that sucked. So, anyway, made it through all that, got on with Glendale. And so, when I left the sheriff's office, I said I was topped out there in pay. I came to Glendale. I got a $10,000 a year raise to go to the academy. Yeah. Which and, was amazing. And the huh? cost of living in Arizona back then was not that high. It was pretty, no, it was it was pretty manageable. It was, it was maybe a little bit cheaper than yeah. where I came from. Um, so, yeah, started out here. Great opportunities. As soon as I – and I told them in my interview with Glendale, I'm going to be a motor. That's why I'm coming here. And they laughed at me because it was hard to get on mm-hmm. with motors. It's, that's an elite unit. It is. And For a traffic no unit, it absolutely it's is. It's elite. And we had 21 motors at the time. And I tested and – as soon as I could, and I got accepted. Nice. And I went through motor school, and I'm going to brag a little bit. I'm still the only person who's been through the Glendale Motor School, which is hard. Motor school is the hardest thing you can do in law enforcement. SWAT guys, I don't care. <laughs> I, I beg to differ, but. <laughs> you can hut-hut all you want. Motor school sucks. Um, 
never went down. Nice. In motor school. And graduated, went into motors, and I was a motor for 18 years. Okay. Of my, and I just retired two years ago. So I was in law enforcement 28 and a half years. So you, you, the majority of your time here in Arizona was was traffic. Uh, was traffic. Yeah. So you're, you know Title 28 pretty well here in Arizona. I taught traffic law in the academy. <laughs> I know it a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, no, so that's that's a long time on a bike. Yeah. That's Best job a, I ever That's had. a long time on a bike. And I was asked to go to motor school because I used to ride motorcycles. Yeah. And, I, and again, I was like, no, I don't want to mix business and pleasure at the same time. And I, I did criminal interdiction. Yep. So I just used the traffic to get into the cars to find the people and find all it's that the stuff. the best way. It is. Yeah. This is, this is a conversation that's very difficult for people to understand yeah. about law enforcement in particular. Like, why are they pulling me over? Because I don't have tags or this or that. Like, just leave them alone. Why aren't you catching real criminals? Right. And it's like, well, I've caught kidnappers, homicide suspects, human trafficking, drug smuggling, all off of terrorists. minor traffic. I've caught terrorists. Yep. All off really? of minor traffic tra yeah. violations. Yeah. And that's... Jason McVeigh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Taillight. Headlight or a taillight or stoplight or something uh, like that. Stoplight. No. Yeah. But, and this is the thing that where I'm trying to show the... I haven't really had a lot of conversations as to why do cops actually do what they do, but it's to show that, you know, more like I show more of the human side, but this yeah. is the reasons why, because you yeah. catch those people Bank doing robbers. I mean, everything, you know, they speed away from the crime. <laughs> they drive everywhere. Whoa. Yeah. Um, you know, DUI suspects um, will have bags of dope on them, yep. um, you know, and it's not because we're so good, but damn, we're lucky. So you were probably very heavily focused on DUIs. Extremely. Okay. I was the um, DUI instructor. Okay. Motor. Um, I was, this, I was the senior guy on the squad and I was an inst uh, uh, motor instructor. Okay. Um, for a long time, 12 years, I think. So you just retired two years ago. Yeah. So you were still out doing the same thing up until the day you retired? No. So whenever I started my sheriff's campaign in 20, I had to give up the bike. Oh, okay. Okay. One of the hardest days of my life. Gotcha. I, I get emotional about it because I, I wanted to be a motor until I retired. Gotcha. I wanted, to do, I wanted to do 20 years on a motor just as a milestone. But priorities get in the way, you know. Um, and we, I prayed a lot about it. I prayed a lot because it was a big, big decision in my life to give that up because it was a big passion. It was the whole reason I came to Arizona. It was gotcha. the whole reason I tested with Glendale and came here, moved my family, everything. 18 years isn't bad though. Oh man, it was awesome. <laughs> That's... Uh, and I'm not joking. It was the best job I ever had. And a lot of people, you know, now I'm campaigning. They're like, why didn't you ever promote? Cause I'd had to give up the bike. You had to get off the bike. And it, it was, uh, that was a hard decision. You know, a lot of people push me, man, you'd be a great Sergeant. You'd be a great this. Well, I was a Sergeant in the military. And I was really good at it. And I really enjoyed it. I, I love being a leader. But you don't have to have rank to be a leader. And a lot of people get caught up on that. They don't realize that. Rank doesn't make you a leader. Those stripes or bars or you know titles don't make you a leader. And just because you have them doesn't make you a leader. Agreed. Um, and you don't have to have those to be a leader. Um, I, I mentored hundreds of officers. Um, I was a training officer for a long time. I was a field training officer for a long, long time. Um, I was a motor instructor for a long, long time. 
I believe, and I'm thinking about it, every motor with Glendale, I trained or I trained the person who trained them. The senior motor instructor for Glendale right now, I trained him. Nice. Um, his predecessor is still there. He stepped down as senior motor instructor, but he's still there. I trained him. <laughs> um, the DRE instructor there, I, I trained him. Um, a lot of the other agencies, you know, we, we work with um, Peoria and, and Avondale and Goodyear. I trained a lot of those nope. guys. The guys that are instructors there, I trained them. God, I'm old. <laughs> um, and I tell a lot of people, you know, I do hot rods. Uh, Jamie and I have a 65 Shelby Cobra. It's a kit. Obviously, I was a cop. I can't afford a real million-dollar car. But um, we have a lot of projects and stuff. This isn't gray. It's chrome. Gotcha. Um, nice. But I earned this, you right. know. Um, and I look back on my career with Glendale and, and with the sheriff's office even, and I'm very proud of the people in the agency that I touched and mentored and I hope, I really hope that I led them on a good path, you know, and, and made them good cops and, and conscientious officers. And one of the, one of the driving focus points of my life is one of the things I've always said is, and one of the things that's always driven me is my whole goal in life is just be a better person today than I was yesterday. Yeah, that's a good and goal. I'm not to trying to be better than you. I'm not trying to be better than that guy. I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I'm just trying to be a better person than I was yesterday. That's a good goal to have. And that's it. You know, I'm just a basic that guy. So on the law enforcement front, <coughs> 18 years on a bike. Yeah. Get off the bike in 2020 because you said you had to start your campaign. Yeah. I needed my nights and weekends off. Understood. To campaign. So, so. I want to ask you two questions here. And again, yeah. one, one of these questions is, again, coming from the community that I reached, the cannabis community says, yeah. hey, who, this is what I'm going to have. What are your thoughts on regarding? So you were doing DUI enforcement and everything with oh, yeah. the, when in medical marijuana came in came into effect mm -hmm. was recreational. I don't think yes. it would have been. It, it, okay. Right at the end. Yeah. Gotcha. So how... What happened regarding your evolution in law enforcement and DUI enforcement in the cannabis world? And again, this is a cannabis podcast, so I got to ask Nothing. these questions. Um, so a lot of people get hung up on it, and it really didn't change anything that we did. Did did you guys see the number of DUIs regarding cannabis go up? Yes. And I fault the cannabis industry for that. Okay. And because they... Honestly, we're, um, I think their focus was screwy and I don't blame them, but they were, they were too profit driven and they weren't focusing on their customers. Okay. Um, still, still yeah. to this day, they, well, damn it. You're doing it for the good of the people. Yes. So look after the people that you're trying to take care of. Their messaging is horrible. And I, I talk to people with normal all the time. Okay. Um, I've, I'm very good friends with the lobbying Mm -hmm. side of normal and i talk to him all the time please more advertisement don't smoke and drive right don't drink and drive don't smoke and drive right i know marijuana is legal but don't smoke and drive so it's too many times and i'm out you know let's go back i was on a motorcycle i'm riding let's say i'm riding behind you Marijuana stinks. It does from a mile oh away. Oh, my God. Now, I can drive behind somebody that's drinking. I can't smell it. Right. But if I'm driving behind somebody that's smoking, 
holy crap, I can smell it 10 cars back. You can. And I'm going to, I'm on a motorcycle. I can weave through traffic like nobody. It's a joke. We used to, you know, we were predators and we thought of ourselves that way. And uh, we would say, you know, we'd be in the station doing our paperwork and we're done. And I'd say, hey, to the guys, hey, I'm going to go put my fin in the water. I was a shark. No. And I'm going to go get in traffic. I was a shark in traffic. I'm going to go put my fin in the water. I'm a, I'm a shark. And that's what we did. My fin is in the water. Looking and for I'm, the UIs. I'm, I'm in the water, in traffic, and I'm doing this through traffic. And that's what we did. And I was looking for people swerving. I'm looking for all those cues of people not maintaining their lane, all the DUI cues, impaired cues. And I can smell marijuana. You right. know? I, it, so I'm looking for it. And... Dude, if you're if you're driving down the road smoking weed, ugh, you're, you're advertising. You're dumb. Yeah, that's just dumb. Now there is an argument that's yeah. being made that, and there are certain lawyers that say this too, that are open advocates for cannabis, and I disagree with them. They're like, oh, you can't get, um, you know, you're medicated on marijuana. You're not under the influence. Like there are people who make this argument, and I've said I think that's total, absolute, complete bullshit. There is a difference. As a medical user, there absolutely is a difference between using enough to be medicated and not have back pain and be clear headed and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I can go overboard and I can get, oh, yeah. I can impair myself. Well, it's just like somebody, okay, let's say you have, um, you're, you're up for a root canal and your doctor says, okay, before your appointment, I want you to take this Valium and right. they give you a prescription for a Valium one. And they say, I want you to take this. And it, this happens all the time. 30 minutes before your appointment, I want you to take this Valium. So when you come in for surgery, it's in your system, and then we can do your surgery. Don't drive. Right. Well, then something falls through. The person who's supposed to drive you backs out or, you know, they have some kind of emergency. You take your Valium and you drive yourself. And then five minutes before you get to your doctor's office, you rear in somebody yep. at a traffic light because that Valium hits and you're blasted. You're impaired. Absolutely. You're medicated. You're medicated. And it's a pr legal prescription, and it's a legal prescription. You took it legally, but you drove. You're impaired. Yep. I agree. You can't I, do I that. Do, I do it, agree. I, you know, it's just if, and, and I don't care. I When I was a motor looking for impaired drivers, that's all I was looking for, impaired drivers. Right. I didn't care what was impairing them. It doesn't matter it if it's matter. Benadryl, NyQuil, caffeine, whatever the case may matter. be. does not matter. If they're impaired, they're impaired. Were you a DRE? No. Okay. That's the one thing that I didn't have as a qualification. Okay. Because I, I didn't care. Um, I didn't need it. it I didn't think. I, I agree with that statement. It, it, there, you should not be making an arrest if you don't have the probable cause to show impairment. Exactly. And if you don't have the probable... There are many times where I was on the fence... And it's not that I second-guessed my own abilities, but I wasn't going to jam someone up for maybe or maybe not. Yep. And I've sat on the side of the road and said, call a tow truck. Exactly. I'm going to wait with you, yep. and I'm going to wait for that tow truck to show and up. if I wasn't sure, I didn't arrest somebody. Right. Uh, I'm Because I had too much to lose, and they had too much to lose. And I'm not going to put my career on the line or everything that they have to lose on the line on I'm not sure. There's a lot that gets lost, that. particularly on DUIs. DUIs are very serious here yes. in Arizona. It, it's oh, a life it's changer. Expensive. It's expensive. It's a life changer. It's, it will change your finances. 
it ruins people's lives. It does. It does. And I want that message to get out. Like, don't, yeah. don't, don't drive impaired. Don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. Well, and, and I'm not going to make it on me. Right. It's, right. It's not going to be on me. It's going to be on them. Agreed. And I'm not going to cross that line. And I never did. And if I was so, and okay, so I'm a motorcycle cop. I'm out there writing tickets and I'm a baseball guy a lot. Um, somebody runs a red light or it's close. Tie goes to the runner. Gotcha. If it's too close, eh, I'll give it to him. If I'm out there working traffic and somebody's speeding and it's, it, it, I work Bell Road a lot. Okay. And it's six lanes, three each way, and sometimes four each way. And if there's just too many cars and it's going to put me in a little bit of danger to pull out and chase somebody, I'm not going to do it. It's traffic. I'm not, exactly. And it's I'm not going to put myself in danger just to stop a speeder. Right. Because it's not worth it to me to put my life in danger to chase somebody. Um, now, it's a dangerous job no it matter is, what. It is. But, and, you know, we, we take inherent risks anyway. The risks. Hey, I'm running the, a motorcycle. The reward outweighs the, the risks. So I'm not going to do it. But we have to take risks anyway. And, you know, I got almost run over 10 times a shift. But that <laughs> just that happens. Um, there's two types of motors. Those that have been down and those that are going to be down. In my 18 years, I went down three times. Okay. Worst injury I got out of it was a cracked rip. I do bounce. That's not um, that's not too terrible. That, that's that not good. Bad. That ain't bad, dude. Um, I I consider myself very blessed and very lucky. Um, thank God, my uh, guardian angels were able to keep up with me. Um, <laughs> you must times, have a BMW then, because they're not that fast. Oh yeah, they are. <laughs> the new ones, the those new twelve fifties, okay. are wicked. But I mean, I, I had I started out on the KZ one thousand, the old rattle traps, yeah, iconic police bike. Oh my god. Um, and then we went to Hondas and then BMWs. And then uh, my very last bike I rode was the new 1250. Okay. Wicked. Those Germans can make a motorcycle. <laughs> they, can, they can engineer some but, stuff. Um, the biggest thing on impairment is like, you know, people say, well, what was their blood alcohol level? I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't care. It doesn't and matter. This freaks people out. I don't care. If they're impaired, yep. they're impaired. And that's all I have to prove. <laughs> The, the, I and want show. the, we do like everybody understands and agrees yeah. though that, and I know that there's the people that say it's pseudoscience and this or that, or blah, yeah. blah, 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 like about the alcohol limit of 0 0.08. Yeah. You know, it is generally mutually agreed upon by the science community, those, the criminal defense side and right. the prosecution and law enforcement that at 0 0.08 or above you are impaired. Right. Regardless. The problem on the cannabis side though, is that. How many nanograms per milliliter means what? Means this, means that. That's why there's no per se limit, thank yeah. God. Yeah. Especially for your medical users who use, you know, heavy doses. They're, On a regular basis. They're always going to have some le level of THC in their system. Well, and there's a lot of argument about tolerance, too. Correct. So if, if you're a once-a-week user or an everyday user— no. People's tolerances are different. There, there hasn't been enough studies on male-to-female— on um, body mass, on body fat, um, there's there's just too many variables out there. Yep. And and one of the biggest things is the damn federal government's in the way. It's a Schedule One, and they're not doing enough studies because it's still a Schedule yep. One. It's not open because of the schedule to studies, right? Like it, medical studies, like it should be. Did you hear what the Department of Health and Human Services just came out and said just no. a few days ago? So what? We're September twelfth, something like that. Yeah. Um, 
just a few days ago, the Department of Health and Human Services on the federal side suggested that they finally reschedule cannabis and they officially gave that report over to the DEA. No. So it is yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Oh my God, finally. Yeah. So it's it's in the DEA's hands right now. Somebody's waking up. Yeah, somebody's waking up to to actually re- Let's hope reschedule they do. it. Let's hope they do because there needs to be more research. Yes. More information is always better. So this is I'm just gonna ask you an open ended you don't have to even Go have to it. answer this question. But if if it's rescheduled and the and the thoughts and, and minds start changing, would you, again, you don't have the authority, I understand yeah. that, but hypothetically- I, I can give an opinion. Would you be okay of your of deputies and officers in the state of Arizona using cannabis off-duty? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, I don't know. So, and this is where I'm coming from. So my wife and I are equally yoked. And if you're biblical, you understand what that means. My wife served two terms on Arizona Post Board. Okay. So. Which is, yeah, I would love to talk to her too. Oh, yeah. And so Post is Police Officer Standardized Training Board. They're the board that sits over the certifications of all law enforcement in Arizona, all certified law enforcement. So any discipline um, and all training standards and all hiring standards, they set the standard how many times you can smoke marijuana, how many times you can or can't use cocaine or right. anything before getting hired, all hiring standards, all training standards at the academy, how many hours you have to do um, through your career to maintain your certifications, how many hours you have to do in the academy on each topic, um, Defensive how fast tactics. you have to run the mile and a half. Yeah. I mean, everything. Standards for everything. Everything. So she sat on that board for two terms okay. under Ducey. And then when we got the new governor, um, she was relieved. Um, and there's a now, um, I think the person who took her spot is uh, a restaurateur from Tucson. Okay. Okay. <laughs> not, not a lot of background in uh, civil service or public safety. Damn. So, um, so I have um, with... The time she served there, I was able to experience a lot of the things that she went through um, with different cases. You know, Officer A did this, Officer B did that. Um, a lot of the things she advocated for while she was on the board was officers and upper echel- upper officers, uh, captains, lieutenants, command staff. Uh, command staff being held at the same standard. Mm-hmm. So Officer A uh-huh. did Officer A did this offense. Lieutenant B did the same offense and, you know, they'd say, oh, well, he was, but Lieutenant B is a good guy. I know him. I played golf with him or whatever. Um, we should kind of let him slide. And and she was a staunch, hardcore, absolutely not. Um, she held everybody to the same standard, no matter what their rank, As privilege, it should be. friendship, relationship with anybody was. And that was, that was a hell of a fight she put up and um, her last statement to the board when she left um, was to maintain that and and we both believe that very yeah. much everybody should be held to the same standard and every officer should be held to the same standard as every civilian um, so uh, we believe in equality and uh, you know uh, lady justice has a blindfold and that's for everyone yep. I don't care where you came from, where you live, who you love, what color you are, what language you speak. I I don't give a damn. 
Everyone should be treated the same. And that is with respect, first of all. And I've always done that, and I'll always believe in that. And that's why I had a very, very great, a fulfilling career. And, and I made a lot of friends. I've arrested many people that thank me. Yeah, um, I understand that. And I've been in brawls with people. And later on, they apologized and they thanked me for arresting them. And, and that freaks me out sometimes, but, and it freaked them out, but you treat people correctly always. And you don't take it personally because you know, when people would scream at me, spit at me, shoot at me, they're not, it's not me. It's not this. Right. It was the uniform. It was right. the authority right. that I portrayed or, you know, represented. And I, and I always knew that. And I always approach people and, and approach situations that way. And it's like with cannabis, there's a lot of times, you know, I've ground a lot of weed into the ground with my foot, my foot. Obviously that was before body cameras. Um, but I welcome body cameras but, whenever they came along. It was a good thing. So two things. One, I'm going to, I'm going to take that as they should be treated equally under the law. Absolutely. So equally under the law Two, I, before legalization, before, um, uh, medicinal and all that good stuff, I ground a lot of weed into the dirt too, because I wasn't going to ruin some 18 year old's life over a gram of weed. I wasn't going to put them on. And then also another story came out. If you haven't heard about how task, you know, the, yep. the task in Maricopa County, was basically, I don't remember what they were accused of mismanaging money, but basically it was just a total sham. Like this report just came out. I don't, I don't want to overspeak what I'm that. saying. Yeah. I'll have yeah. to, I'll get that information. I've seen a lot of people through task. Yeah. And I did too, man. And it's been, I did too. Honestly, I think it worked for I, a lot of people. Agreed. Agreed. And, but it was the mismanagement of the money and the okay. funding on that, on that aspect. On their it. fines yes. that they were paying in? So, okay. Yes. And regards to my that's question terrible. it is it i that's the part of the government i can't stand is the fraud but in regards to the cannabis and officers um through arizona normal you know that i'm on the board on right. um i've had uh, officers from new jersey contact me and i've told the story right. before and the new jersey attorney general came out with when it was legalized there and all that with over the last year or two years said that we are not going to test our officers for for thc yeah. And I have communications with a few officers and some detention guys that have said we have like we are trying to get this okayed. One is a lieutenant yeah. and they've sent me emails saying, dude, what were we doing? Like this was stupid. Like nobody these guys are, you know, one edible at night. They're sleeping like a baby. They've stopped drinking like their yeah. lives have improved. Well, see, I'm going to say. I don't have an issue with that. And and the reason I'm going to say that is because I know it works. Yeah. And this is where I'm basing it. Yeah. I said earlier, I have a lot of, you know, a fire service. They don't test. I, they do not. And I have a lot of friends in the fire service. Um, I consider them family. And there are a lot of agencies in the Valley. I'm, Obviously, not going to dime anybody, but um, there are a lot of injuries in our job and and, and in fire service and everything else. We have we have hard service. Um, we have a hard job, physically demanding. Um, we wore thirty pounds of gear, you know. Yep. Um, getting on and off that bike every day, um, planting that foot and rotating off that bike 50 to 100 times a day is hard on no. the body. It, my hips are done. Um, 
fire service wearing that bunker gear and oh, thank you up and down those stairs and just their training alone no. is just punishment those guys work out a lot they get to work out on duty some that, agents that some true. law enforcement agencies get get to and the sheriff's office will and i'm making that promise right now i'm looking you right in the eye i will make sure that happens because it's a benefit to everyone but i don't have an issue off duty if someone needs that for a medicinal purpose i don't have an issue with it and i don't think testing needs to occur um it's a waste of money it's a waste of resources it's a stressor on employees and officers that just doesn't need to happen um i i really don't see a need for it and i hope post comes around and can reevaluate things and with more information with you know with the new information coming yeah. out um there's more testing that comes available and we can open our eyes a lot to see what happens um and like you know when you and frank were talking um one of i was screaming and cheering whenever he was talking about they don't follow comstat right oh right my god and for the Stats. public, that's the, the statistics of what who officers have made contacts and arrests and traffic violations and this and that. And it's a micromanagement. Oh, my God. It's such a pain in the ass. And it's, in my personal opinion, in my professional opinion, it's absolutely a waste of time and resources. There, there's, a, there's a movie or another movie, a television show uh, back on HBO called The Wire. It was, on, it was actually probably the best thing ever and like one of the things in the throughout the entire show was the comstat comstat oh, yeah. comstat talking about reducing crime and this and that it was just a bunch of blue blood beer about it they talk about, about it all the bullshit. time oh yeah comstat briefing will be over in a little bit it, that shit's they, real they talk about, oh yeah yeah and it's stupid bullshit briefings where the middle management goes in and tells the upper management how good they're all doing and then upper management gets to yell at them for not doing as good as they should and do. It, I have a really good story about that, and I won't tell it because it dimes somebody out that's still working. So right now, I want to – I have got to, to use the restroom. So let's take a five-minute break. Let's take a pause for the yeah. cause. Yeah, let's take a pause for the cause. I'm going to leave everything running, though. So okay. I'm going to use the restroom real quick because, again, it's all – everything that I'm saying right now, I'll edit out. So take yeah, a five-minute break because I want to transition. I think this is a perfect transition into Sheriff, Sheriff Mike Crawford. Okay. So said so I'm just going to leave everything oh, yeah. running. Awesome. You asked me about – Officers using cannabis. So let's get back into it. Um, you would ask me about officers using cannabis off-duty, and, and this is a story I'll relate, and, and kind of where I base my thoughts and feelings on that. So we're back, everybody. <laughs> Just do a little segue back into it. Yeah, so um, a personal story. Um, so my back was broken in 1991. From the from, from the, the lightning from strike. the lightning strike, um, three wedge fractures in my thoracic, and I've never had surgery for that. Obviously, tons of pain. Right. I have nine compressed discs in my back. Some of my vertebrae grind on each other. I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna not complain anymore about my back injuries. Oh yeah, don't no please. Um, it's fine. I understand. When I was a motorcycle cop, working DUI enforcement. And this is going to sound sacrilegious, okay? I was taking seven Vicodins a day as a maintenance dose. That's a very high maintenance dose. 
I told every supervisor that I worked for, because I had to as policy, I am prescribed Vicodins. And I take seven a day as a maintenance dose. On bad days, it could go as high as 10 or 12. Right. Now, I did that and was doing that for over 15 years. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, my God. So, this is how stupid I am. I played ice hockey. I started at 30 years old. <laughs> I'm a goalie. Now, I've already told you I was a motorcycle cop. Right. So any law enforcement personnel out there will already know that I'm insane. <laughs> and anybody that plays hockey will agree as a goalie, I'm really not smart. Um, I like pucks shot at my face. Gotcha. And I would take them on the mask every time and laugh because if it hit my face, it didn't go in the goal. <laughs> And I would laugh. That's a winning attitude right there. I had a $350 mask. It was very high quality to protect the grill. And yes, these are all my teeth. <laughs> um, and I played hockey until my arthritis got so bad okay. that I just, I, I can't hold the stick for an entire game because my hand would get so painful. But towards the end of my hockey quote unquote career, um, I was really good. I was a really good goalie. And um, I was playing on up to five teams. Is this here in Arizona? Here in Arizona. Interesting. And up in North Peoria. And I was the go-to goalie. Anytime a team didn't have a goalie, they'd call me. Okay. And I could respond in 15, 20 minutes, gear up, and play. Um, I was good enough that all the teams I played on they paid for my fees, oh, nice. and it's not cheap. It, that club I stuff paid is for my all. equipment, which is hell and not cheap. Uh, I think my leg pads alone were fifteen hundred dollars. Good lord! Uh, my mask was three hundred. I mean, you know, the glove, the hockey glove. Some of those are up to two hundred dollars. Jesus, uh, you know, just so piecemeal all that equipment right. together. I was wearing about five grand. So they would pay for my fees. I would bring the beer. Um, a lot of Canadians, so there was a lot of Labats. <laughs> um, and I can swear pretty well in French, thanks to those guys. Um, I did learn a lot of that. But um, back to the original story. Cut my side shoots. Um, I was on duty, and it, it did not impair me. I, I will tell you that the bike God's end. honest truth. I could take, because I had been on it for so yeah. long, I could take five Vicodins and feel nothing. Mm. Didn't affect me at all. Barely touched the pain. The biggest godsend that I've ever had, and I showed you, um, sorry, radio audience and TV audience, you can't see it, but um, technology is amazing. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I was very, very lucky the neurologist that I see for pain uh, turned me on to something absolutely amazing. I think they discovered it on some alien craft. <laughs> um, it's otherworldly. Um, I have a spinal cord stimulator. Nope. And, you know, this is part of me being open with everybody. Um, like I said, I'm, I have nothing to hide. Um, I have a spinal cord stimulator. 
I have a computer implanted in my back. It's the size of uh, your key fob for your car. Um, and the leads sit up in my thoracic um, directly on my spinal cord. Okay. And they deliver micro shocks onto my spinal cord and they electronically block the pain signals from my lower body. So about from my rib cage down, all chronic pain is blocked electronically. So the way opioids work, they block the pain receptors in your brain. Right. Well, this electronically blocks the signals so they never even get to my brain. Gotcha. I haven't taken an opioid in seven years. That's amazing. Eight years now. So you have had that spinal cord stimulator on duty, riding a bike, on the job. And it did not stop your fun. It probably increased your functionality. Absolutely. Okay. It probably also psychologically increased your functionality as far as the mental aspect and not being drugged all the time. No side effects. So opioids have side effects. Absolutely. Tons of them. Oh, oh tons do do. of them. And now eight years, I have no side effects. That's awesome. I don't take any opioids. Um, I'm allergic to Oxycontin, Oxycodone. I okay. used to break out in a rash. So all I could take was Vicodins. Um and, you know, obviously anybody that takes pain medications, a lot of your audience has probably been through the ringer in that stuff. Amen. Amen. <sighs> Which is why I chose medical cannabis. So here's the bitch. Here's the rub. They were fine with me taking seven Vicodins a day. Yep. But if I would have taken a gummy on the weekend to help me sleep, they'd have fired me. They would have fired you. And vilified me. Absolutely. I would have been a drug user. Absolutely. I'd have been a druggie. And a lot of officers would have viewed me as an absolute piece of shit. I agree with everything that you just said. Can you think back to how the Vicodin psychologically made you feel or not feel? Do you remember any of the the aspects of that? Well, for one, I was horrified to tell my boss because okay. I don't know how they would react because I work for some pricks. Yeah. You know, there's those guys that, you know, they guzzle the Kool-Aid and are they going to put it in my file? How's it going to look? Right. You know, it would be just like, it, are they going to label me a drug user? You know, am, am, are they going to label me as some kind of pain management issue right you know some freak well everybody knew you know about my story about the lightning Mm -hmm. strike i was the only officer that worked for glendale pd that was exempt from carrying a nova stun device what do you mean you you know how they used to have the stun devices before tasers came out that was before my time so okay i didn't know anybody in patrol i got it back i got it in 06 i'm old so (laughs) back in the day before tasers came out we had stun devices okay the stun guns okay i never had to carry one because part of the training you had to get stunned you will not approach me with an electronic device. <laughs> no. I no, have I never it. been tased. In the original training for tasers, you had to get tased. Right. You point a taser at me, I will draw down on you. You will not point a taser at me. To me, that's deadly force. Well, and that right there, that is a whole nother societal aspect of a conversation yeah. that we can so spawn the off reason, into. Okay, let's go back to the reason. Why do they stun you or tase you during training? So that you understand the effects of it and how it is completely incapacitating. And it's deadly force. When you've been electrocuted, correct? Oh, yeah. You yeah. know what it's like to be electrocuted. 100%. Dude, I know. <laughs> 
You don't have to taste me. I know. So once, you know, once we got to talk about things reasonably, they're like, oh, yeah, dude, you know, you don't have to be tased. So I got to carry a taser. Later, I went through all the training Mm -hmm. without being tased. Because they were like, okay, yeah, dude, you get it. You get you it. You can get on the stand and say, I have been electrocuted. I know what that feels like. Yeah. So, and I survived. And, uh, yeah. Now they had to revive me because mine was a lot more than a taser. Yeah. But, it was a little yeah, more than 50,000 yeah. volts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, gigawatts, you know, um, back to the future, but <clears throat> excuse me. But yeah. So, um, so back to the topic. You know, they were okay with me being on seven Vicodins a day. Riding a motorcycle. Yeah, riding a motorcycle for a living at night. Um, and they did check me for, you know, they monitored me. And, you know, the my sergeant in the DUI squad was a DRE. Okay. And just for, you know, giggles and shits, they, they would look at it and say, hey, you know, I, I told him, hey, check me. Am I impaired in any way? Do you see any effects of opioids or anything in me? And no, you know, they never did. And I've been through, you know, because um, I helped train, you know, with HGN, the, mm-hmm. the eye test mm-hmm. for everybody. The Horizontal gaze, nystagmus. Nystagmus. And, you know, I've been through everything. You know, we did all the field sobriety tests mm-hmm. and, you know, because I helped teach all that stuff. So, and and this was when I was on the Vicodins and everything and all my pain management with my broken back and in full uniform. And I could do all the field sobriety tests and I never showed any signs of impairment ever. And if I ever felt any way impaired, I would call off, No, you know, because there's times when my back hurts so bad, I just couldn't. Right. And I'd call off, you know, that's what sick days are for. Yep. And luckily I work for a great department that would allow that. And if you needed a mental day, man, if you just, if you just weren't feeling it, if you were having a bad day and you were just, you know, if, if you woke up and you're like, man, I, I just, I'm going to get in a fight tonight. I just, I have a bad feeling. Tonight's going to be just a crap day. Yeah. I'm just, it's not going to happen. You could call in and say, I need a mental day. And they'd give you a mental day off. So they were very supportive that way. That is something that we, I got a cough button. Um, oh, thank you. They, um. There's there's so many things to tackle right now that I want to tackle with, and, and one of them is moving into Mike Crawford for sheriff and right. why you believe you are the guy and your answers, and you're touching on a lot of things right now that are that I feel is that like one of the things that we talked we touched about before on PTSD. My goal with this podcast is to help new officers and young officers. I'm not a police officer anymore. I haven't been a police officer since 2017. I smoke cannabis and I'm in the medical cannabis world. Mm-hmm. I don't long to be a cop anymore, but it was, it was the, I loved being a police officer. I loved every bit of it. I loved the help that I gave people. I love the community aspect of it. Sorry, I just make sure it's good to go. Um, I love the community aspect of it. I loved helping people. I loved, I loved catching the bad guy. I loved making the world safe. And I, but I fell into the PTSD trap that I didn't know I was in. And one of the things that I always want to do and want to highlight is the, the mental health aspect of law enforcement. Right. And you have touched on several things regarding how you feel and stuff like that. And I did not work when I was at DPS, like I'll dime them out. You couldn't call in and take a mental day. You could, but you would be ridiculed. There was there was zero, zero mental health care. There was zero 
caring about the individual officer. Okay. N- none. None. I'm sorry. And it, it sucks. And yeah, we had critical incident stress management teams, but in eleven over a decade with them, I never once saw them come out. I was in special investigations. Yeah. I dealt with dead bodies all the time, officer involved shootings all the time. The Sholo PD, uh, Officer Darren Reed, that one was the one that that pushed me over the edge mentally, and I don't know why. So, but I've dealt with all those issues and cannabis has helped and all that. This is not a woe was me moment. This is a getting to the heart of who you are and the conversation that we did have before about getting to the heart of who you are, your thoughts for the sheriff's office moving forward, because we've covered a ton of your background right? and, and moving into Mike Crawford as the leader of one of the largest sheriff's offices in the country. And how do you make your people know that you care about them. How do we change that culture in law enforcement so we have mentally healthy people out there working so that we have people, so that we have good management, so that we have officers that respond with the best intentions and mentally prepared to go, whether it's the lighter, softer touch or they got to take care of business. How do we bridge these gaps? How do, what is your vision? How do, how do you convey your message that this is who you are and this is what- Me in a nutshell. Yeah. So- I'm not a bureaucrat. I haven't been behind a desk for decades. I was a non-commissioned officer in the military. I know how to lead people. Yep. I know how to lead them from the front. I'm a cop. But it's time for me to transition. I'm not looking to be a cop anymore. Um, Be on the beat, working with um, the citizens as their cop. It's time for me to transition my experience to assist the officers and the deputies at the sheriff's office to be able to better do their job and support them. Um, I think they're lacking a lot of support and a lot of leadership and the leadership that they need, the leadership style that they need. Um, I've worked very hard for my integrity and to maintain my integrity, and I'll never, never give up my integrity. I'm very proud of the men and women at the sheriff's office and what they've done and what they've gone through. They need a break. Agreed. They need some support. Agreed. I don't believe they're getting the support that they God honestly deserve and that they've earned. To be blamed for the drugs getting into the jail. And in my eyes, in a way, vilified for that. Is is just wrong. They need to be supported. They need someone who honestly cares. And that's been there. No. I've been on the street. I know what they're going through. I've been there. I truly understand as a cop and somebody who's been on the beat. I understand. I've been through it. I've in many ways recovered from it. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, like I said, I was a volunteer fireman from the, when I was 14 years old, I saw a lot of dead bodies. Yeah. I've been through therapy. 
I'm not, you know, nobody's ever completely cured. Sometimes those faces come to the front. Amen. But I've, I've dealt with them and I know how, and I know how to help them. The people that work at the sheriff's office need help. The taxpayers in Maricopa County need relief. There's millions of dollars being wasted. And a lot of that ties to the deputies, detention and patrol not being supported. Right. They need help. They need more. They need more people in the jail. They need more people on the street so that they're safe. How do you balance with the world currently in regards to now Arizona is a very conservative state for the most part. We're, we're kind of kind of slipping a little bit to the other way, oh, but it's getting scary. But that has been eye-opening for me diving into the cannabis world and becoming more liberal. Right. I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a liberal in some I'm fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Okay. So how do you take a tough on crime approach? Yet also the kinder, gentler side. One of the questions that popped up is too, and I, I want to make sure I, I do answer it is regarding the homelessness. Oh yeah. What what can it's the a big problem? Right. What can the sheriff's office do regarding the homelessness? So and this is where this question is is posed is, you know, how do you make sure your streets are safe, but then also not vilify people just to vilify people or criminalize people just because they're a drug user? Well, and that's a big problem. So. Um up in Yavapai, the sheriff up there is doing an incredible job, and it's a great model to follow. People that are living on the street, a lot of times, and I've worked with a lot of homeless people, and, and you know, a lot of the areas that I patrolled were up in North Glendale. Okay. Uh, one of the most affluent neighborhoods in all of Arizona. Fentanyl is a huge issue up there, yep. just like everywhere else. Yep. Homelessness is a huge issue. A lot of the homeless people that I dealt with, and this is not a political statement, this is an actual fact, from my own experience, choose to be homeless. I agree with I've, that statement. I've personally offered them. And I, I knew these people because I contacted them almost every day. I knew them by their first name. I knew their dog's name. You know, I'd get them dog food with my own money. I'd buy dog food. I'd get them a, a hot cup of coffee or a bottle of water and talk to them and offer them resources. Because we have tons of resources that taxpayers pay for. Yes. And we try and help and try and help and offer them resources, try and get them someplace just to take a shower yep. and get them cleaned up. Because, man, it, it makes you feel better. Agreed. And it'll help clear your mind and it'll give you a positive outlook on life just to take a shower. And if I can offer somebody just an opportunity to take a shower and get their clothes washed at no cost and at no risk, I'm not running them for warrants. Just, hey, can I take you over here? You can take a shower, get cleaned up. They'll wash your clothes. Maybe get a meal and then you can start a better day that way and they'd refuse no strings attached zero strings attached i'm not you know and and they knew me i mean i i had been talking to these people for months and, and they and just knew like you me, said yeah and i'd offer them things them, and it's yeah. not a bait and switch right and i tell them straight up and they knew and you know there's there's some amazing uh rainbow bridge and and different places that cast things that'll help them out and they just wouldn't do it. They just don't want help. And that's the we question. Try and try and what try. What do you do? And 
I, you know, and I've, I've paid for groceries for people when they shoplifted because damn it. I didn't want to arrest them. Right. I, and it's not because I was trying to get out of paperwork or anything. Cause damn it. I get paid by the hour. I don't give a damn. I was getting paid the same to do it or not. It, it, I'm not trying to get out of work or anything like that. Cause I can knock out a report in 15 minutes. Right. Um, you know, it's so easy now. Um, we don't even, we don't even write tickets with a pen anymore. No, it's it, all electronic. I didn't even need a pen. You scan their license, scan this, scan that, bam, hit print. And it comes out. Um, but, and you know, reports were so easy. I could dictate my report verbally uh, driving to the jail. Yeah. This, and, you know, things are so simple. So, so if people think, you know, we don't arrest people just to get out of doing a report or, you know, because it's hard work. It's not. It's so simple. It's, damn it, I care, you know, and I have compassion for people and I try and help them. And I've given so many breaks and especially, you know, I, you know, people think, you know, the kickstand comes down, the pen comes out. You yeah. know, I'm writing you a ticket. That is so far from the truth, especially as a DUI cop. If I pull somebody over and they weren't DUI and they were speeding or whatever, and I can talk to them, most of what I did as a cop was educate. Yeah. Just talk to people. A lot of times they didn't know what they were doing was illegal. Um, you know, U-turns or different lane changes or, you know, especially when the cell phone thing came out with the distracted <laughs> driving. God, I wish I had, now that I'm retired, I wish I had guided missiles on my truck <laughs> to take out cell phone people. <laughs> Put your damn cell phone away. Agreed. And get out of the freaking left lane, especially if you're in a Prius. But anyway, I'll get off my rant. But um, Mark Lamb would agree with you on that. He's made videos about that. He's a dear friend of mine. Parking and on I the believe left lane. Mark Lamb's doing such a great job. Um, and I'm a lot like him. Um, his philosophies in law enforcement, I'm I'm right down that same road. We, we do, we have a... a very, very similar philosophies and leadership style and everything else. Um, things at MCSO under my command will be the same way. And one of the big things, MCSO will never be mine. When, not if, when I'm elected sheriff of MCSO, it will never be my sheriff's office. It will always be yours. MCSO belongs to the people of Maricopa County. I will be a part-time employee. And I know that. And it will always be treated that way. I'm not going to go in and start changing stickers to make my mark or anything like that. I'm not a gimmick guy. Right. It's not my department. It's yours. It belongs to you. It belongs to the people that have worked for MCSO forever. And they've dedicated their lives to it. It's their department. Agreed. They are not my deputies. They don't work for me. They work for you. I work for them. And I will always be that way. And I will never call them my deputies. They're your deputies. Always. I am their sheriff. That's I it. work for them. And everything I do will be to support them. They will never work one day for me. They will always work for you and they are there to work for themselves, for their department and for their county. They are not mine other than I am a taxpayer also, and they're mine as in I pay for their salary too, as a taxpayer, as the sheriff, I work for them. Everything I do every day will be to support them and to make their job easier. The number one 
with the sheriff's office is for me to make their jobs easier. And the only reason I'm doing this as running for sheriff is not for me. I have a good pension. I have my military disability. I don't need the money. The sheriff's office doesn't make squad anyway. The sheriff <laughs> is a statutorily paid right. position. I made more as a patrolman. I don't need the power. It's not a power thing. It's never been about that. I never promoted with the police department right. because I don't need it. I, I've never wanted it. I've never sought it. I prayed very hard about this. I don't need it for my family. This has taken me away from my grandkids right. and my wife for at least four years. And I will never do more than two terms. I guarantee it. Okay. Hold me to it. Hold me to it. That's an order. We will do that. And I say two terms because it may take that long to get things straightened out. The Melendrez right. lawsuit is a whopping nightmare. And that is and going back. It. That's going back to Arpaio's days. 2007 is when that started. So I was directly asked the question to ask you yes. in regards to Arpaio's policies. In okay. regard, I was asked to ask you about what you thought about Arpaio, but I think that's neither here nor there. I think it's more about his policies okay, and what your thoughts are on regarding some of the policies that have led to the sheriff's office being sued, being they're under consent decree, correct? Yes. So they're under consent decree with, if people who don't know what that means is that they've been investigated by the department of justice. The department of justice at the federal level has come in and basically said, you need to uphold to these rules, these laws, these guidelines. And it's a, it's an agreement by the sheriff's office to do what the justice department has said. Agreement. Yeah. It was ordered by a federal court. Well, okay. Judge. There you go. Um, in 2010, from 2010 until last year, um, the taxpayers of Maricopa County paid $20 million a year for that oversight. The oversight's done by an independent monitor and the ACLU. That money gets divided between the independent monitor and the ACLU. So they're making $10 million a piece on taxpayer until money. Until this year. Because of this lawsuit. This year, it got bumped to $26 million a year. Okay. Inflation, baby. Yep. So in 2016... Um, the Democrat current sheriff, Paul Pinzone, was elected, and he owns the lawsuit when he gets elected. Agreed. When Agreed. I get elected, I own it, and I'll, I take full responsibility. I'll take it, and I have to solve it. But right now, it belongs to Paul Pinzone. Last year, he was found in contempt, criminal contempt of court, for not coming in compliance. They're still not in Full compliance let's, with the order. Let's back up one second. The entire reason the consent decree was was put into place is because of the pra the, the racial profiling practices that were ordered by Arpaio. That's one part of it. Okay. There's, there's like, I think, 12, 12 15 stip stipulations. There was um, illegal immigration roundups, traffic stops, record keeping, um, some massive problems with internal affairs investigations. Right. They're severely backlogged. And... Well, what was happening during investigations, cover-ups, um, good old boy. Um, Corruption. I'll help out my buddy. Um, the chief deputy allegedly in the um, investigation, in the uh, court order, um, may or may not have covered up one of his own investigations and is named, I believe, three times in the order. Yes. Is not allowed to have anything to do with internal affairs investigations. Can you name names? I can. His name's Jerry Sheridan. Okay. And uh, actually, he's running for sheriff. He's running for sheriff. So if he were elected, which I don't believe he's electable, 
Um, he lost to Penzone in 2020 by over 300,000 votes and is a massive part of the reason we have Penzone, in my opinion, um, and the problems that the sheriff's office is having. But um, so we have to get this cleaned up. Um, right now, the only thing left is internal affairs and the massive backlog that they have with internal affairs complaints. I was never internal affairs. I'm not very familiar. But right. So we're both kind of I'm, I'm speculating on this as well. Um, there's time limits, though, on the administrative side. At least there was at my previous department. That, there's a, actually an officer bill of rights. Right, right. And so there's time limits on these things. 90 days. That, yeah. So if you have an investigation that opens in January and nobody's touched it till September, nothing's going to happen with that with that investigation. Whether it was it was found, you know, responsible or not, nothing's going to happen with that investigation because the time limit has overgone because officers have a bill of rights. Wrong. Okay, correct me. They have suspended the officer's bill of rights at MCSO. Because of this consent decree, okay. some of That's the internal affairs complaints are over a year and a half old. So how can they suspend an officer's bill of rights? How? Yeah. That would be like the federal government's just suspending the bill of rights, which the New Mexico governor tried to do. But anyways, but so because of the consent decree, they've suspended the officer's bill of rights. Some of these investigations are over a year, year and a half old. They're just been sitting there chilling, doing nothing. Well, so there's there's vacancies in internal affairs, and they have not been filled. And there's a massive backlog. Because right. of that massive backlog, the judge that originally ordered this consent decree um, found Pulpin's own in criminal contempt last year. And as of, I believe, May of this year, we are now being fined $1.15 million a month in fines until he comes into compliance. And that's on top of the $26 million a year we're already paying for the oversight. This is coming directly out of taxpayers' pockets. Uh, Maricopa County taxpayer dollars. Absolutely. So, so we've paid out over $300 million so far. What's the uh, annual budget for the MCS, for MCSO? So in 2016, when Paul Pinzone took over, it was around $320 million a year. Okay. 80% of that is the jails. Right. It's the fourth largest jail system in the United States. The MCSO. That's a huge responsibility. Yeah. How so, so how, this year the budget, I believe, is around seven hundred and forty million dollars. Jesus, inflation. Is it? Or we have to pick, cover twenty six million dollars no, a year worth of fines. That's separate. Okay. That's not part of the budget. That's not part of the budget? No. Jesus, where's this money going? I know. I want to audit the books, find out exactly where it's going. I don't believe we have as many deputies on the road now as we did in 16. I don't think so. Yeah. So And, by and, the, and we don't have 2,500 volunteers. Is that the posse? Is that um, part of their policies? Have, or just, just... That was Penn's own. Gotcha. Um, how does... To, to fill the positions within internal affairs, you have to have qualified officers, deputies that Correct. test for the position, whatever the case Trained. is. Training. So how can you, like the process should just simply be identifying these people, getting them Assign trained them, up. Train them. And, and now does, does MCSO require that they, they be sergeant level or above? No. Okay. So just, you can be a detective. So, and all of those policies can be changed anyways when you get into office. Correct. 
So I'm just trying to well, figure out. They have to be in following with the consent decree. It's very specific on certain things. That is that is something that I had did not look into, yeah. so I can't comment at all. And it's very specific. Okay. So my, I'm just trying to it understand. Can't be Joe Blow off the street, right? For sure. How can and not just any patrolman can take the spot, right? How can Penzone just not do this? Priorities. And continue to just cost millions and millions and millions of dollars. Right. Well, he says he doesn't have the funding or the manpower. Well, that would be a retention issue and a hiring issue if you're a not-so-great department at the moment. It can be a priority issue, too. Yeah. So in about the same time, um, there's a program where it was budgeted $5.7 million was spent to hire... 45, 47 employees and by scanners to scan employees in detention and hire separate detention officers to scan the detention officers when they come to work. Oh, okay. Because they're being blamed for the drugs getting into the jail. Okay. But he doesn't have the manpower to fill the five or so investigation slots. In internal affairs. But we can hire 40 some odd and buy all these scanners and all that stuff. I guess so. So we can agree, though, that there probably is some detention that is, in fact, doing that. It's not it's it, we can agree that there are some cops that are just bad and they're I doing know, terrible well, shit. There, there, you know, there's bad plumbers. There's bad electricians. Right. right. It, it, there's they're human. Yes. I know of one detention officer that was caught. OK. Bringing contraband into the jail. Personally, I I do know of one okay. that was that was cut. I believe there's around, I think it's like fourteen hundred people a day get booked into MCSL. <laughs> That's a ton on a given day. It's it's in the ballpark. And for people who don't understand how the jail system works, you know, your Maricopa County deputies will will specifically arrest and take them to the to the, to their jail, but then the city departments within within Maricopa County will usually house. They'll arrest somebody, take them to their own little in-house jail for a very short period of time. And if it's serious enough, then they'll get transported over to Maricopa County jails. Yes. Because counties are responsible for jails at the county level and for every police department and every prisoner in the county. And DPS, everybody. Every, everybody. Yeah. Every city agency. Marshal Service. Yes. They house people there. ICE. Uh, a lot of agencies use MCSO okay. in the county to house um, people. Yeah, 1,400 people a day is huge. Yeah. It's at least 1,400 people a day. So, and I mean, it fluctuates every day, but right, you know, right. that's, that's a pretty good number. And people get transferred in and out to court, you know, so say Mesa needs somebody to go to court, they'll come pick them up and take them to court and then they bring them back. So people are in and out constantly, um, through the day. I, I don't even, I don't know the number. It's astronomical, the people that are in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And, you know, to just blame the employees is ludicrous to me, in my opinion. Without um, evidence. And, and it vilifies the employees. And, I mean, you know, morale is bad enough. Um, they're shorthanded. And with COVID and everything that happened and, and all the extra duties that they had to do and all the forced overtime and, and everything that was going on, they were overtaxed yeah. and just wore out dog tired wore out and then for this to be thrown on to them too is from their leadership from you know coming from the top i think is just too much to bear and it was absolutely unfair and 
A lot of things have to change. A lot of things have to change. What are some tangible things that you could do that would show immediately the support for the deputies, the support for the for the taxpayers? Stop vilifying your employees. Okay. Um, it has to become a family again. MCSO used to be a family. Um, trust is a huge factor. You have to know the person next to you has your back. Yeah. You have to know your boss has your back. The boss has to know that his employees has his back. That has to be earned. Eye to eye. Face to face. What about the accountability aspect? Absolute accountability. And that starts at the top. Yes. And it can't be done with gimmicks. I'm not a gimmick guy. I'm not a pink underwear and green baloney kind of guy. And I'm not digging it, Joe. Um, those those were awesome at that time. But that's not going to solve the problems that are going on with the sheriff's office. No. It's not. That's not me. Officers need to make decisions about what they do. I know I have great programs that are be coming down the line. If uniforms need to change... They wear them. I don't. They're going to have a committee. There's going to be committees among detention and among patrol. Okay. They are going to decide if there's a uniform change that needs to happen. They wear it. I don't. They decide what they wear. Th- those are little things that can. But they're huge. But that's what I was going to say. I remember. Morale. I remember when command staff was making decisions about the uniforms that we were wearing out on the road that just made no sense. Giving ownership and empower and empowering yeah. them. That's when a good Phoenix step. came down and made their officers start going back to class A's. Yeah. And wearing their class A's instead of the comfortable uniforms that they had, morale went in the dumper. Yeah. I know. I know of at least fifteen guys that retired just because of a uniform change. It's a big deal. It is. MCSO, there's people that are retiring before their 20-year pension's up. Who in the hell does that? Nobody anymore. Who leaves a government job before their pension's up? Nobody does. They're doing it at MCSO. How do you... You don't quit a bad job. You quit bad bosses. You quit a bad boss. Yep. How do you get new, fresh blood in? You know, there's so many... Quite, like Culture said, change. People have to be excited to come work there. Yep. And it's word of mouth. People know. People talk. People come to the valley and they start asking cops, hey, I want to test to be a cop. Where should I go? Everybody says, don't go to MCSO. They're under consent decree. You know where they say to go? It sucks. Pinnell. Yeah. Why? They have, well, their leadership is out in front, showing his face, supporting his deputies. I've had the number two sit where you are Mm -hmm. and talk about. And the face of their department too. Yes, exactly. To sit and talk about. Mental health challenges and how the department overcomes those things and supports their deputies. You know, I've had those conversations. Well, good. Look where I came from, and I'm gonna I'm gonna plug my home, Glendale. I love Glendale. It Glendale's a big city, yeah, but it feels like a small town. It really does. I at Glendale PD, I knew, I still do. I know everybody that works there. I know their spouses. I know their kids. I know their dogs. I know everybody there because we were a family. Yeah. You're not just another employer or a name. We knew each other. I, the guys at the fire department, I know them. Yeah. I know their names. I know their family. Hell, 
they're we're intermarried and family you know there's brothers and sisters that work pd and fire nothing we weird work, nothing weird no nothing weird <laughs> but we, we work out of the same station yeah fires on one side pd's on the other it's easier to throw stuff at each other <laughs> um we know each other it has to be that way mcso can be that way too but it has to start from the top well and it has to be they have to see it and i have to see what they're going through my staff will work shifts in the jail and on the street they better bust loose that velcro off their ass because they're <laughs> going to get out of the chairs they will leave the office no yeah. and they'll because you have to see it to fix it if you don't know there's a problem you can't fix it and they're going to be out there and if people are ineffective leaders they're gone and if they don't want to unask those chairs and get out of the office i don't need them agreed you have to be a leader you have to be out there with your people you have to earn their respect you have to earn their trust you have to be out there with them amen some of the most impactful leaders that I had at DPS were we'd be working a big accident scene out there at the I-10 or whatever, and you know, and he had 10 miles of flares and cones set up and all that. And we'd need somebody to go back and put up more flares or whatever. And we'd hear this one commander every once in a while pop on and he goes, I got it. No, no. Someone different. You know him? Yeah. Not a personal fan. So does his name start with a B and end with a B? Benham. No. Oh, okay, different guy. So, motor, central uh, traffic. What's his name? Names and me. Yeah, no, I gotta, I gotcha. But um, he was Pru a motor. Pruitt. Yes. Pruitt. Jake Pruitt. You don't want to know how I know Jake? Bit of a complicated story though, but for me, <laughs> I've heard he was fantastic to work for. I taught his traffic law in the Oh academy. no shit. <laughs> Love Jake. Well, but that's where I go back. Yeah, but <laughs> that's it, how old I am. <laughs> it, but showing yeah. that leadership and being out there as a captain, as a commander, yeah. as a whatever I don't know. I don't know the rank structure of MCSO other than sheriff. Um, it's confusing. Yeah, there's ranks in there that I've never even heard of. Yeah, they're they got chiefs and deputy chiefs. There's and, more chiefs at MCSO than there is in the valley. That's insane. PDs. Yeah, that's, it is. That's very insane. So how does it's going to be looked at? How do you change the culture from within when you meet resistance? You know, how do you head on you now? Head on. And honestly, I don't bullshit around. Right. I don't blow smoke up anybody's ass. I talk straight and I talk honestly, but I'm not hard headed either. Understood. I do listen. So if there's a good reason for something, we can work with it. I moved. If if there's good reason for something, I'll listen. Gotcha. And we and I can work with people and I can work with things. I'm not going to change the traditions of MCSO. If there's honest traditions and it's honest good culture and there's a reason for it, I'm not a change for the sake of change right. guy. That pisses me off more than anything. But I'm also not, we've always done it that way. Right, right. That ain't going to fly. There has to be a reason for it. And if we can change things for the better, we will. 
but I'm not going to change something just to change it. Well, I, I'm not going to just upset the apple cart just for my own personal whim. That that doesn't fly with me. Um, we're going to look at things honestly. We're going to analyze it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to work things through with sincerity and honesty and openness with everyone. And it's going to make sense or it's not going to change. If it doesn't make sense, we're not going to do it. I'm a common sense guy. Uh, one of the reasons I was a really good cop, I'm a good problem solver. That is a skill that is very necessary on the fly yeah. in law enforcement. But I have to, I have to see it. And yeah. I'm a hands-on guy and um, it's going to freak some people out because I don't do it from behind a desk. Um, uh, my boots have a lot of miles on them and that's not going to change. Well, you've been a worker bee. Yeah. Your and entire I'm going to be that way. And, and it, you know, like Mark Lamb does, he, he's out there and he sees things and he handles things with a lot of compassion and a lot of sincerity and a lot of faith. And I'm very much agreed. I'm the same way. And I'm of, I'm of the same school and, and we're going to change a lot of things and a lot of things for family. Um, we have, we're, we're going to bring a lot of programs for the family unit and for spouses and a lot of support, um, a lot of things for therapy, a lot of um, openness for officers and deputies to be able to talk about things that are going on. Um, a lot of offline things where command is not involved. Okay. Uh, pistol is a great opportunity. Um, if you don't know, um, they work offline completely separate from command. I won't know. Okay. And I won't okay. get involved. Understood. And I'm going to give deputies and any employee, civilian or otherwise, opportunities to step outside the department if they need help. And no questions asked, they're going to get help. Um, they can step outside of command, outside the department if they need help. I, and if they don't want me to know, I, I won't know. If they want my help personally, I'll help them. If somebody needs help with their rent, if they need a babysitter, call me. I'll come watch your kids. I don't give a damn. If, if you need help with a brake job on your car, call, <laughs> come on over. I'll help you change the brakes. I, I mean, I'm that guy. I, I really am. I'm not no bullshit. I'm, I'm that guy. My wife is that person. We will help. That's why I'm doing this is to help and I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I'm saying to you right now, I promise you, and I'm not a politician. I promise you, I will not do more than two terms. You can make a lot of good in two terms. That's, and this is one of the biggest problems with MCSO. Mark Lamb's doing a good job. The sheriff's office I work for is amazing at it. They don't mentor people. The MCSO does not. Who's going to take over right now? Who's being mentored to take over? Probably nobody. It happens at a lot of agencies. There's no grooming. There's no, there's no, it, it, from the military, everyone under you, you train yes. to take your position. Yes. They don't do that. I, I think that though, that there's just, if you there's don't. There's a huge gap. There's a huge gap because there's no ownership. Because why would I own this if my boss is just going to shit on me? Yep. Why would I give a shit about the next generation yep. when my boss is just going to shit on me and vilify me and say I'm, I'm planting or bringing in drugs and all that stuff? I guarantee you, when I leave MCSO, I will leave MCSO very strong, very capable. There will be at least five people 
ready to take over at any given time. Because if anything ever happened to me, I will not leave them in the lurch. There will be people capable, ready, honest to take over. It's a huge, good agency. It is. It's got... There's amazing people there that are not being used properly and effectively. So last And a lot of it is because they're afraid. Well, last Thursday, I just had, without naming names or what department he works for, but you can go on to his Instagram, and he does kickflips and donuts, and he's a deputy that skateboards and he and he's an amazing guy i said i, I just released it today so at the I time was we looking were filming, for it last night yeah i, I know on. i wanted to I, hear it so and again without naming particularly yeah. what department he works for but the people that i have met that, that worked at mcso the thing that people don't understand about a police department is the capabilities that a department has are incredible especially a sheriff's unit and there's so many things. And one of the things that county uh, law enforcement is responsible for is search and rescue. Yes. So that's constitutionally, per, per the Arizona Constitution. Statutorily. Yep. And Constitution. Yeah. So it's there's so many different aspects to this that you've got cops and paramedics and pilots and logistics and detention and civilians and yep. radio people and all the type of stuff. So how can you be a sheriff for all that work? You know, for all, like, how can you show all of these different branches? You us- and the civilians are usually neglected. By civilian, I mean non-sworn. Yep. They're usually the neglected ones. How can you show them that you're the guy? How can you show them that this is what you're going to do? I've been it. I've done it. And I'm not doing this for me. Right. I'm doing it for them. I've worked with the tribal nations. I've worked with the federal government. I've worked... Patrol. I was a detective, several different styles of detective. I know how to do investigations. We have to get back to narcotics investigations. We have to get back to fighting human trafficking. We have to get our posse back and get our volunteers involved. One of the big things we're going to do is um, tap into the disabled community. There's a lot of disabled people in this county that want to serve, that want to be a bigger part of their community and help and serve. And we're going to get them involved in the posse. We have to get our youth involved. That's a huge question that I have. Watch this. Less than 3% of the population of graduating seniors at 18 years old are eligible for military service. Right. By the time they reach 21, less than 1% of 21-year-olds in the United States are eligible for law enforcement. How many of those that are eligible can we even get to test now? Yeah, you can't. I know you can't. And a lot of times when they get to the testing process for law enforcement, maybe we get lucky and somebody shows up to test and they, we tell them they're ineligible for drug usage because of the standards we set criminal history or physical or mental issues that they have. They'll say, I didn't know. Right. And they're not stupid. They really didn't know right. that those were the standards. Why didn't they know? Nobody ever told them. Nobody ever told them that, hey, if you want to aspire to do this, you got to make sure you don't yeah. do that. Well, and it, so if you look at the standards for law enforcement, uh, my son works for an aerospace company in the Valley, a very large company. And the standards for him to get hired 
we're very, very similar to law enforcement. If he does, if he holds any kind of background as well, or any kind yeah. of TS or anything, then yeah, he's they do to top a secret. One. They yeah. work on aircraft. Yeah. And some yeah. of them are top secret military aircraft, stealth and things like that. And I'm sure you went through the secret background. Yeah. Yeah. I was top secret clearance. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, one of the things I did in the military, I was a courier. So I had to carry top secret gotcha. documents from headquarters and um, um, that kind of thing too. So, um, but it's, they didn't know. So we have to get involved with the youth because I mean, you know, in schools now, they're not even teaching kids how to bounce a checkbook. You are correct uh, about that. You know, and I'm showing my age there who bounces a damn checkbook anymore, but you know, just, just to balance their checking account and how to responsibly pay their bills and know what they're, what they have coming in, what they have going out, um, how to apply for a loan, yeah. how to do anything. You know, I was taught that in school. I was taught how to work on small engines and motorcycles when I was in school. They don't teach any of that anymore, any common sense things. So, you know, we can get a posse um, clubs in schools and teach kids how to volunteer, get that volunteer passion into their heart, like I had with, with the fire department, and get them involved in the community. We can help do cleanups in the community. Teach them to interact with law enforcement in a positive way. Get school resource officers back in the schools to protect our children. We do it for everything else. We protect everything else, but we don't protect our schools where our children are. So what do you say to people that say, oh, cops shouldn't be in schools? You know, that's one, just stupid. Just one to teach and to help and to be a resource. Why not? That's I, I As can't. a positive yeah. interaction, why not? And it's been my it's been my experience that SROs, school resource officers, are generally, and I'm I'm being kind, yeah. I'm not being rude. They're generally the kinder hearted type person. They are, and it's a volunteer job. Yeah, and it's it's and oh man, I, I Willie Jackson worked for Glendale PD. He was the kindest, sweetest guy in the world an amazing resource for the police department and kids loved him to death. There's another guy that's so tight with me, Marine damn hardcore Marine. And he has a heart. That's amazing. He works at a school in a tough part of town. Yeah. Grew up in Southern California, tough, tough kid growing up. Awesome. Dad. No, Put his kids through school, taught him athletics. His daughter played um, Division One softball. He's a good dad. Yeah, he's in this tough ass school. As an SRO, the kids love him. I used to go there when I was a DUI cop, and I taught the DUI impaired driving mm -hmm. stuff. And could we teach kids, you know, hey, this is what it's like. We had the beer goggles and everything. We even had marijuana goggles that shows you. In, I would love to see what those oh, actually dude, look they're like. They're trippy as hell. They're green, <laughs> duh. But um, which is dumb because you don't see green when you're high. But um, but it shows you pseudo impairment right, right, of right. what it's it, it, it's simulated impairment but what it's like to be high or, or or drunk and we had um the national guard would show up with these little pedal go-karts and we would set up cones and they could drive their <laughs> little go-karts through with these beer goggles on and man they'd be all over the place or just throw a tennis ball to them yeah, yeah and try yeah. and catch it you know and things like that um i used to teach um out at luke air force base i did the safety briefings nice. for the airmen out there and <laughs> 
One of the biggest things, you know. I don't miss those. With impairment. Oh, God. I know. Me too. But <laughs> it was fun to teach it. Um, if you're impaired, high, drunk, whatever, call a tow truck. Yeah. There's it's a hundred bucks. There's a lot of resources. They'll now. take you and your car home. They'll even park it in your driveway straight. Nobody will know. It's a hundred bucks. DUI costs a minimum seven grand. E easily. hundred bucks, people. Easily. Call a tow truck. They'll take you and your car home. So there's my plug. <laughs> yeah. So I want to ask you though about, <coughs> about corruption and law enforcement corruption. Yeah. And there's been some in the valley. Yes. What are your thoughts on that? Absolutely won't stand for it. Absolutely will not stand for it. D if you're a corrupt cop, I'm your biggest enemy. And that's one of the biggest reasons I'm running for this office, too, okay. is to keep somebody else out. Because we can't afford it again. We can't afford it. And I would be totally interested to sit down with anybody who's running for this position and have conversations about it. But also, at the same time, make some confrontations as well. Do it. About stuff in the past. Yep. And... I've never been charged with a crime in my life. Well, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't. But, um, but that's one of yeah. the things that we talked about when yeah. you and I first met. Yeah. And I was open and honest with you about that. And I appreciate that. And I have open conversations with people all the time. Um, uh, I met an amazing guy. I think I have dinner with him on, and his wife on Friday or Thursday night. And he's in the cannabis industry. Um, he was targeted in Yavapai County. Okay. Um, he makes uh, Zonk. Oh, Zonka. Bars. Zonka bars. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll send him this. I'll send him this. Uh, Love him to death. Chris Martin? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I want everybody out there to know that we are praying for his wife. Um, she's an angel. Um, so, sorry, I got emotional. No, no. Um, she's fighting breast cancer. Um, watched his uh, video. Um, his little movie that he, uh, documentary haters make me famous. Amazing. Please watch it. If you haven't, what happened to him was absolutely a travesty of justice should not have ever happened. Right. It was, um, they were trying to make a example of him, which is not what the justice system is about. It's not about making examples of people. Um, and hammering people. Uh, it, that's not what it's for. It's about protecting society. It's about people that truly have broken the law that need to be punished, um, that aren't going to learn. Um, and skirting and dancing around gray areas is not what the legal system, and, and that's not the definition of justice. And I don't believe in it. And that's one of the big reasons I got out of the DEA. Um, it was being, in my opinion, used improperly and in, in, in a bad way. Yeah. And, and it, wasn't being, it wasn't justice. It was not just. It was serving the federal government. It was serving other people's agendas. And, and I, I don't stand for that. The one justice the has to be just. No, equal. And it has to be equal and it has to be fair. And I've always believed in fairness. And I also believe in compassion. And you have to look at things on a case-to-case -case basis. Amen. But it has to be done fairly and with compassion first, not with an agenda. 
and I don't have an agenda. I was um, just going to ask you, what's your agenda? To save MCSO and to save the taxpayers a lot of money and not at the cost of the employees of MCSO. Um, we're going to spend money. Oh, yeah, you have well, to. Oh, we're going to spend a well, boatload. That's, that's but, all, the only thing a police department does is spend money. It, it's tax-based. So, But the money I spend is going to be a hell of a lot less than the money I save. And accountable. Yeah, because they're blowing $26 million a year on this stupid lawsuit, and we're going to shut that down. But, and this is going to shock a lot of people, I believe everything that's in that lawsuit— that Judge Snow put in that lawsuit is correct. Okay. Everything he said that MCSO should be doing, they should have been doing all along. Amen. I can tell you this right now that from I was working the road mm -hmm. during that time period. Me too. I worked down by Guadalupe. I worked okay. right, right there off of I-10 and Baseline. And back then, I'm sure it still is now, Guadalupe was patrolled specifically by by Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Mm -hmm. I did interdiction along I-10, and it made my job very, very difficult uh -huh. anytime I would pull off on I-10 at baseline. Because now, again, I did not live in the day and age now as a law enforcement officer where people were running up to you with your phones and all that. Oh, yeah. But the people did not know that I was not MCSO. They just saw a police officer. And you were in tan. I was in tan. That's all it that they saw. really close. Yes. So there were times where I did have people run up to me. And, I, and again, I never really cared if people videoed me, but it only happened a few times. Right. And I said to them, hey, man, I'm not MCSO. And they're like, you're not? I'm like, no. And, you know, just yeah. educating the, the public. Right. Yeah. And people have praised that particular individual, Arpaio. And I'm sitting here saying, I worked in the Valley. I talked to deputies back then. And things weren't as great as he portrayed them on TV. Yeah, there were. He was flat. The, the 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 immigration stuff was flat out racist. It wasn't all him. Correct, correct. But those those practices were rooted yeah. um, in checking for people institutionally. That institutionally, and it comes from the top. Agreed. I, like there's no yeah. other way to say that. Yep. It was absolutely. It was inhumane. Pulling people over because they looked a certain color. Yep. And again, and I witnessed it and I worked it and I did human trafficking. Yep. These are policies that can't stand anymore. No, you know, these and they are, will not. Yeah, these are things that you. And I think, and, and I'm going to give this, and it might piss some people off and, and it might shock some people, but I think Paul Pinzone's done a great job with that. Um, of do, of combating that? Yes. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. I just want to be clear he's, on that. He's done a great job with that. And, and, um, you got to give credit where credit to too. a lot of people, um, I know Paul. Okay. And I like Paul as a person. Um, I have a lot of respect for him as a law enforcement officer. We're brothers in blue, um, just as you and I are. Um, running against Paul is not a personal thing. And he knows that we've talked about it. I've, I, I, I've spoken with Paul and he knows, and we have a mutual understanding and a mutual respect. He knows I'm not, Anything that I've said or will say against Sheriff Penzone is in respect and it's not personal. Right. And he knows that. Your, and we've spoken. Your adversaries, not enemies. Correct. And, and man, that's something that's just so screwed up right now in politics. And I, the reason I hate politics so much, if we agree 80%, that doesn't make us 20% enemies. Right. Um, we can still talk about things. And 
it doesn't have to be so adversarial. Um, Paul and I disagree philosophically on things in our leadership style and the way we view things politically, I guess you could say. And even though I, I, I really don't classify myself as a politician, I'm, I'm a cop, I'm a leader, um, and that's what I bring to the sheriff's office. I'm going to take the politics out of the sheriff's office as much as I can. If politics have to be done, I will do it. No. And they will not. Their jobs will be their jobs. And they will not have to be political. If politics have to happen with MCSO, I will take care of it. And I will take it off of them. That's my job. And that's part of me working for them yep. to make their job easier is to take the politics out of their job. I was a deputy. I worked under two sheriffs. I've been through a sheriff's race before. I've been through the election process. Now, I had it a lot easier because when I went through it, the sheriff that was elected was my captain at the time. Okay. And when I was growing up, in Kirtland, New Mexico, just outside Farmington, uh, uh, right there on the edge of the reservation. He was the deputy that used to chase me on my dirt bike. We used to go <laughs> try and find him. Uh, Mike Davidson was a great guy. And then later, Sheriff Davidson. He's the one that assigned me to uh, the task force. Um, but it wasn't adversarial. Um, he was groomed and trained to be the next sheriff. And that's what's going to happen at MCSO. We're going to take the adver adversarial relationship out of command. We're going to take the fear out of um, voicing your opinion. I want to hear deputies' opinions. Honestly, my phone number hasn't changed in 25 years. And it's not going to change. Call me. I want to hear when you asked me before the podcast, I think we talked last week, you said, Hey, I'm going to, do you mind if I put out, you know, some questions mm -hmm. for people to answer? What did I say? Do it. I would love Go to hear it. questions, please, please. Yeah. It'll help drive the conversation. A Amen. I love that. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do anywhere I talk is question and answer time. Yeah. Hit me. I want to hear what people have to say. One of the favorite things I did as a deputy, the sheriff would call, car one, to, and he would call me by my call sign. God, that was so long ago, I don't remember. But he would call me, and I'd go pick him up, and we'd go down to the Tiger Cafe, and we'd sit there for hours, and people would gather because they knew he was coming. People from the community, farmers, ranchers, yep. business owners, and sit down and have breakfast with the sheriff. And he'd sit at the biggest table, and we'd sit there for hours, and I'd have my notebook because it was my district. And any complaints or mm -hmm. any problems there, hey, the neighbors' dogs are getting into my cattle, or this is going on, or the, this kid down the street speeding. I took notes, and it was my job to take care of every complaint. He would have the deputy from a different district come pick him up and go out to that district to a local area, and he would sit down, and he'd, he'd do this all the time. Get ready. I will be out in the community doing the same damn thing. Breakfast with the sheriff is going to happen all the time. My, my question about that is, 
and this is no knock on any police department or anybody, yep. the, the shop with the cop, the coffee with the cop, the sitting down to lunch is, is absolutely necessary. It is. But the problem with my personal opinion on that is the problem is that you only get the ones that like you. Yep. So how do you reach out to those people that don't like you? I'm that are fuck the police. How do you get to those people? I'm going to their house. I'm going to their neighborhood. <laughs> Not with a warrant. Just no. to go say hello. Oh, hell no. And <laughs> and the other thing is... Meaning as in not to kick down the door. How do you approach things? So, um, as you notice, I'm not in a suit. I'm in jeans, uh, my brown boots. I'm not even wearing my dress boots. And, you know, short sleeve shirt. I'm not a suit and tie guy. Some people knock me for that. Um, I have a little bit of a beard. Sorry, I retired. Um I had a guy approach me at a gun show. I could never vote for somebody that's not clean shaven. Um, if you're that close minded, I don't want your vote. Um, Very old school mentality duh. that even I haven't having gotten out in 2017 to see deputies and everybody on patrol with a beard. It's cool. It, it's I'm still kind of weird about it. It pisses me off. It does. Glendale passed it right after we retired. <laughs> Kind of yeah. bent. I wasn't. And, th and then also when I went and became a detective and was an SIU, we had to abide by the uniform standard. So I was never allowed to grow. Really? Yet not every other de detective could grow one. So, but, but that is a culture change. Yeah. That is something that you can allow. And that's so, and that's an old And a lot mentality. of people, okay, tattoos. Um, Glendale, the word tattoo was not in our policy manual anywhere. Okay. We had, we had guys with tattoos down their neck. Okay. They're tasteful. You know, no know. naked ladies. Schneider. Or... Did you know a Schneider? Yeah. Yeah. I went to the academy with him. He had the big old holes in his ears and yep. all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah engaged. Yeah. yeah. Great cop. Yeah. Very passionate. I just can't believe I just remembered his name. Jesus. Came out of nowhere. He's my brother, man. <laughs> oh. Hey, Schneider. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, we had guys with tattoos. I have I have ink. You know, I got some when I was overseas. Mm -hmm. Um. Now mine are above the elbow and right. stuff like that. My I'm a little old school, but um, I don't care. I, I don't care. A MCSO, you got ink. Okay, right. It's an outward expression of your inner self. As long as it's tasteful, you don't have naked ladies or swear words. Right. You're gonna have to cover it up. But, um, you, you, obviously you have to be tasteful and it has to be tactful, but. I, I don't care. Um, guys can grow beards. Uh, girls too. I, you know, I, it's twenty twenty three. If, if you want to wear your hair a little longer, you know the hair color thing. Okay, that's not up to me. It's you. It's your personal expression. As long as it's tasteful and it doesn't distract from your job, right? I, I don't care. Um, and the officers, the deputies, are going to decide. The deputies are going to decide if you guys want to change to outer carriers with um, uh, the Molly stuff and you want to change colors or you want to change your patch. I mean, we're going to have meetings about it and you're going to decide that's that's it's your department. It's your department. It's not mine. It never will be. I will have great pride in the things we accomplish. We accomplish but you're going to lead that. I'm I'm going to direct it. That's my job. Right. Is to direct it. But those kind of decisions are going to be done by the deputies cuz it's it's their department. They're the ones that are going to be there for their career. 
I realize I'm a part-time employee and I'll always be treated that way and I will always treat it that way. So on that note, how do you win over the deputies being an outsider, being somebody who didn't actually wear the uniform? I will wear the uniform and I'll wear it with pride. Understood. I will always treat myself as an outsider and I'll never try to impart myself that I'm better than them or that I know better and I'll always approach it that way respectfully and I'll earn their respect. I will earn their respect. I, I think and that I'll work my ass off every day to earn their respect. I think having been a deputy, even somewhere yeah, else. And it, I was a deputy. So I, I, think, I do agree that helps. Yeah. I'm not just some city cop. Right. I do have a very vast background and a huge, vast experience that's um, federal, military, deputy. I work county, you know. The only thing I didn't, I wasn't a troop. Um, I didn't work state police, but um, I, I was DOT certified. I, I've, I've made traffic stops in a semi. Have you ever done that? <laughs> oh, of course. I was commercial vehicle certified. We were trucker fuckers. But did you drive a semi? Oh, no, 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 no. a traffic stop? Oh, no. I have. <laughs> I went to Swift um, truck driving school. Okay. And we have a command vehicle that is a semi. Oh, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. And it has red and blues and a siren. I have made traffic stops in it. <laughs> I've done that. So, I mean, um, I've made traffic stops on motorcycles, cars. Um, we had aggressive driving unmarks. Um, I've made a traffic stop in a semi. Um, I have a vast experience. Um, I've worked two Super Bowls. Um, I work special ops um, with the Super Bowls. I, I mean, I, I have a very vast experience um, base and knowledge base. And I can approach problems. I can approach different things at MCSO that other people don't have that experience base. Um, and I like to come at things open-minded, you know, and I like to hear other people's opinions. And if they have a better idea than me, we'll go with that. I don't have an issue with that. I, I don't have an ego. Um, this job isn't owed to me. I want to earn it. And with voters, and I want to earn their respect. I want to earn this position. I really do. And every day I'm there, I want to earn the privilege to be the sheriff of MCSO. What is your most important aspect of your leadership style? Respect, okay. honesty, and hope. They need hope that I will lead them. Agreed. And give them the proper direction. And that's all I'm there for is direction. Um, it's not my way or the highway for damn sure. Um, we're going to work at this together and, and we're going to be a team. Um, and I truly believe that we're going to be a family and it's, it's all about guidance and that's it. I, I'm not coming in and saying, okay, this is the way it's going to be. That's not, that's not it. That's not me. That's just not the way I do things. And I'll never be that way. Um, we're going to work through things together. And if somebody's in the wrong spot um, and they need to be moved somewhere else where they can be more effective, we'll work towards that. If somebody's unhappy somewhere, we can fix that. Um, if somebody needs to be somewhere else, we can move them there. I mean, we're going to fix a lot of things. Um, and I know it's a huge task. 
It is. And it it's is. not going to be fixed overnight. It's not. And it's going to be hard. And I'm going to be putting in 28, 35 hours a day, yeah. um, you know, 16 hours a week, um, 16 days a week, whatever. It's going to be, it's going to be insane. And I'm ready for it. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready. And I can do it. And I will do it. I'll work my ass off. That's all I know. Um, we're going to do it. And I know we can. And the people at MCSO, I know they're ready to do it. They want change. They need it they, so they want change. bad. One, one of the things that, from my own personal experience, is that uh, I saw that I just couldn't stand was suddenly a new boss came in. And, hey, look, it's three of my buddies from the previous agency that, all retired as commanders or nope. they're going to come over as commanders and we're all going to make $200,000 a year. Nope. You know, it's one of those things where there was a lot like this person has no agency or has no ownership in this agency. Nope. Yet they're going to come over and tell us what to do, how to do and how to be. Nope. Not happening. I know that happened um, this last time and they didn't last very long. Uh, a lot of them went to post and went to other places and, um, and yeah, that ain't happening. Um, like I said, it's, MCSO will never be mine. It's it's yours. It belongs to the citizens of Maricopa County, and it belongs to the deputies that have been there and will be there for their whole career. I'm a part-time employee. I'm not going in there to put my mark on it. Right. That's not it at all. I'm going in there so they can have their department back. It's theirs. Nope. When I was with the sheriff's office in New Mexico, um, there were a few times, you know, there were, hey, we're changing all the stickers. Hey, we're changing right. the uniforms. We're, I'm doing this because, I, you know, I think this would look sharp. Who in the hell are you, man? You sit in the office all day. You don't have to wear this crap. We, I remember we changed. We used to wear um, cowboy boots, mm -hmm. um, chocolate um, Wranglers. This is like... And tan shirts. The Wild West. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> and and uh, our bulletproof vest underneath. And um, we wore Sam Browns. And we had to go to a pawn shop to get our gun and our Sam Brown leather belts. And, you know, you go to the range. My first my first uh, weapon as a cop was a three fifty seven Magnum wheel gun. And I later transitioned to a, a forty five, And then... We got the new sheriff, and we went to green and brown, um, and they still wear it. Okay. The The patrol cars were all white, and then all of a sudden, now they're green and white. Instead of black and white, they're like green and white. Immigration. Ooh, you got to check them out, though. They're pretty cool. I, it grew on us, but, man, that was a big change and horrific. I was in one of them, and I showed up to MCSO on an extradition. I pulled up in front. Hendershot walked out. I'm taking way back. This is I know. He, yeah, he worked under a pile. He walked out, and he starts chewing my ass. I'm there for an extradition. I'm from New Mexico. He starts chewing my ass. This is not the color scheme I authorized. This looks like shit. And blah 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 blah. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> Oh, bro, you didn't, you didn't read the side of the car. Says, Deputy, what are you talking about? I'm like, who are you? Then he realized, he, he read the car and saw it was San Juan County, New Mexico, not Maricopa County. And he's like, oh, it was when they transitioned to the current 
gotcha. scene they have now. And he's like, oh, my God. He realizes he's like, oh, my God, <laughs> you're not from here. And I said, no, I'm here to pick up a prisoner. I'm from New Mexico. It, it was hilarious interaction that's really hilarious now. But um, he offered to buy me breakfast. And then he tried to hire me. And I said, no, you guys pay crap. Um, I was actually making more. Um, so anyway, but tr just trying to make a mark. Yeah. yeah. Change for the sake of change. And they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars just changing stickers that could have been used more effectively somewhere else. DPS for their 75th year anniversary, yeah. put these round, round old type stickers on the side of the car yep. that they spent like 85 or $90,000 on for these stickers that yeah. within a year that looked like shit and were ripping off. It's oh, like the sun, man. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Great. Yeah. Okay. I remember they put signs all over the freeways and everything yeah. for the, the bicentennial of the yeah. state and all that. And it's like, this is just wasted money. Like we're just wasting yeah. money on crap. Yeah. And that could have been used so well with moving officers to remote locations yeah. and paying to fill up the gas bottles or fixing the floors in some of these remote trailers that, Troopers are living in, yep. and you can see the damn ground through some of the floor. You know, I mean, I'm not calling out DPS for things, but I will. <laughs> I know that's happened um, is the only reason I mentioned it. And things that those things have been fixed, I know, um, under the previous um, colonel. But thanks to my wife, she actually talked to him and um, got some of those things fixed. You know, officers going to remotes. But um, a lot of those things um, are huge. I know there was... You know, old stories, troopers were sleeping in their cars with the heater on because the department paid for the fuel and it was cheaper than them paying for the gas in that trailer that leaked. <laughs> and, you know, they couldn't afford to pay for the, you know, it just some of that stuff needs to be addressed. And those guys were afraid to bring it up to yes. command. Yes. And, you know, there's things at every department like yes. that. And at MCO, that MCSO, that's going to change. Um and I'm, I honestly mean that. And that's, I'm not blowing smoke. And look, guys, I'm, I'm dead serious, guys and gals. I'm a different person. Um, you're not used to me. You're not used to that. I'm, I'm on your squad. Every squad that's out there on patrol, I'm a part of it. And I'm going to be out there. Um, you're going to hear me on the radio making traffic stops. Now, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be hard for me to transition because... Being such a large agency, um, I know I'm going to have to have security and things like that. But um, eh, will I'm, you? I'm going to be out there too. There's going to be, it's going to be yes and no. But I'm going to be out there. Uh, I am a cop. But I realize I do have to transition right. a lot to um, the other side. But I'm going to be out there with you. And I am going to be out in the jail. I'm going to be working shifts in the jail. I'm going to be walking along my side-by-side side with detention officers. And I'm going to hear from them, from them. They're going to look me in the eye. I'm going to look them in the eye. And I really want to hear the truth. I would love to go to your house and have dinner with you and meet your family. I want you to come to my house and have meals with me and break bread. It's a very common occurrence at my house that we have more than 80 people on holidays. I, as a senior officer with my department, I have delivered food to officers working. Um, you know, Best Buy will have an officer come and work on Thanksgiving mm -hmm. or, you know, for Black Friday, Black Friday. or whatever. <clears throat> I deliver food to officers. 
that are working those off-duty events, single officers. Um, I adopt, my wife and I adopt people, <laughs> adults, and you may be in that category. Um, we adopt people and bring them into our family. And that's just the way we are. Um, I felt we I, bring people in and, and we, I love people. I truly, when I, when I very first met you, I felt very sincere. I felt as though you were very sincere. Like I felt that in the presence of the room. I felt that when you and I were talking all by ourselves, when my son was with us, like I felt a very sincere feeling and like a warm and fuzzy feeling no other way to put it that I was very comfortable with you and talking. And I think we hit it off well. And I know I haven't covered every single issue. I know I haven't asked every single question and sitting you have, dude, we've been at this for two hours and 40 minutes. It seems like we've been here for five. <laughs> and and I, I, that's why I love doing this. I did want to ask one more specific question that popped mm -hmm. into my head regarding the border crisis. Yes. And MCSO's role. Cause I know what MCSO role was. I don't know what the role is now or what your your thoughts are in regards to what's happening in the state of Arizona and us being a border state. And I, and I know <coughs> I, we've bounced around and no. hit this, but I've been, I want to, yeah. but we've hit There's so much to cover all the topics and if people can break this up and listen to it in smaller parts if they yeah, want to. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've touched on um, so many things. Yes. So one of, okay, so here's a big problem. Mark Daniels in Cochise. He's, yeah. Mark Lamb down in Pinal are getting run over. Mm -hmm. Where are they going? They're going to Phoenix. Why? Because it's the hub. It's the hub of everything to 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 to. Why is it the hub? Because we're a border state. W well, and because nothing's being done. Nothing's being nothing's done. Nothing's being done. There so there used to be a large squad yep um of mcso deputies yep. that worked very very hard at interdiction you talking about the desert guys mm -hmm. i can't I forget what they're i see a lot of them were delta um badass yeah interdiction trained um very specialized highly trained mm -hmm. very well equipped yes and um backed up by other agencies mm -hmm. and by their command staff. I, I was part of Stone Garden. I've been okay. part of, I've done yep. all of the border ops. Yep. I've done all the desert ops. I was I've done Raymond, all that stuff. Um, the Rocky oh, Mountain okay, information. Okay. I, I, I was part of that. <laughs> so I have personal experience. Yeah. I have actually fought the cartels hand yep. to hand as a DEA agent. I know how to do it. Um, that's coming back. Um, the cartels know that it's pretty much Ali Ali Oxen free in Maricopa County um, because um, nothing's being done. Um, do you know the, the just the human trafficking task force in Maricopa County? Do you know who pays for it? It's probably federally funded. Mm -mm. No. By statute. The lottery. Interesting. The lottery pays for it. That I did not know. Yeah. Um, so... That's free money, basically. It, it It's not the taxpayers. It's lottery money. Right. You know how many people from MCSO are on that task force? I don't even know if there is a task force currently. Yeah, there, there is. is. Phoenix is on it. There's a couple other agencies, okay. zero from MCSO. Why? Phoenix is the hub. Yeah. This this is stuff. I'm, I'm very, very passionate 
about the human interdiction yep. side. Me too. That that to me is the human trafficking, the human sex trafficking, that that aspect of it is the most to me personally. Yep the most important part of law enforcement currently mm -hmm. i've just like you our children are not for sale they're not for sale and our, our our women and our men and i don't give a flying fuck what country they're from they're yep. human beings yep or i don't give a they flying are, fuck. anything else so this is a this You're is another thing off of okay this is personal my wife is indigenous okay she's first nations um the largest community that is targeted is our indigenous and the largest population in our country or in the world in in the north north america because uh, it goes into canada as well it's a huge problem there as well is the indigenous peoples that doesn't get reported yeah and they're targeted yep because of that because they are not reported because they're not reported because they're disconnected yep that has to stop the most remote location in northern in the United States, I just read this yet yesterday day before, is a Native American tribe up in northeastern Arizona, and it starts with an S, and it's just not coming to me at the moment. Right, but it's so remote that nothing goes in, nothing goes out. Right. you know what I mean? It's it's. So we have several tribal nations within Maricopa County, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they are, we owe them a lot. And we owe them the respect to protect them. And this has to stop. Um, we have to become more proactive yes. in protecting everyone. And that includes our most vulnerable. Um, our number one job as law enforcement is to protect the most vulnerable. Our children and our and animals are the most innocent on earth. They can never be left unprotected. They are the truly innocent. Yep. They can never be guilty of anything, a child or an animal. We have to do better. We have to. I know that. You had mentioned in the start of this, the movie that came out, and that has since drawn a lot of attention onto what's going on. It has. But what people don't realize is that I was fighting that battle 20 years ago. Right. In 06 and 07. Not quite 20. I'm sure you fought that battle a hell of a lot longer before that. And there are teams of cops out there that are enduring and suffering. This is where I go into the mental health aspect of it. And in suffering witnessing and dealing with the most horrific shit you could possibly imagine the most disgusting deprived horrific shit is being done i'm gonna get emotional i have never done that on the podcast is being done to these people i'm here with you bro and it's and to children and i did child crimes and it's like this is the kind of shit that we have what the fuck are we doing if we're allowing children to be raped and allowing children to be trafficked and allowing men to be trafficked and allowing women to be trafficked and sold as a fucking commodity? Like this kind of I, I I'm beside myself because it's just this. I I know this movie did a great job, mm. but they're just there's these officers have been doing it for so long. It was done very tastefully too, and I I really respect the guys that did it. Um, but. So here's a big problem. Um, I mean, 
I became a law enforcement officer before we didn't even have cell phones. Right. I I was a cop before Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> That's one of my favorite jokes. Um, sorry. We uh, we have to do better with the technology and fighting it. Yeah. The technology of it. Um, there's way too much profit, and like everything, follow the money. You know, with everything. Um, look what's going on. I mean, look what happened in California. They were trying to make um, uh, I can't even remember specifically now stiffer penalties for child sex crimes, and they voted it down. Right. This is very. They should have burned down the damn Capitol. Now I'm saying that facetiously, not actually. I I don't believe in insurrection, but damn it, where's the outrage? Where is the outrage? um, There's people protesting the movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, it's true. Yeah, and it wasn't even that harsh. No, there. It's not even the most of the truth. It was pretty mild to what's actually going on. And people are protesting the movie. They, they wouldn't even, there were, there, were, there were companies that wouldn't even make the movie and didn't want the truth to be out. What in the hell is wrong with our society? I don't know why you'd want to stick your head in the sand on an issue like that. They're children. They're children. They're, they're women. They're children. They're helpless. It doesn't matter, man, woman, or child. They're helpless. And they deserve protection. What is wrong? I mean, so and I mean, it falls in the same boat. Okay, look at so we were talking about the border issue, and now we're talking about this. So, but this they, they directly tie ties to it. So you know, kids are getting on TikTok and they're being offered money to drive. You know, steal their parents' car, steal any car, to drive down to the border, um, um, down into Cochise or wherever, and they're picking up illegals or drug traffickers and that they have no idea who these people are. Some of them are previously deported, convicted sex offenders, burglars, rapists, murderers, who knows? Um, And it's been proven. I'm not just saying that. Um, And it's nothing racist because some of these people are from all over the place. Correct. Um, And they're picking them up and bringing them back. And the cartels are watching and giving them directions on how to drive like maniacs and not, obey law enforcement and drive with their headlights off and all kinds of different stuff and putting their lives in danger big time. I mean, can you, can you imagine if you had a teenage child, anybody out there, if you had a teenage child and they, and they went and jacked your keys and took off in your car and headed for the border and picked up some, several unknown people that came into the country illegally and you have no idea who they are. And the cartel is directing your child to drive someone up into the valley and drop them off and be paid money. Okay, they're in touch with a criminal cartel from another country. Yep. That's not in another country. They're here. They're here. Operating illegally. They're here. And they may be trafficking drugs. Mm-hmm. They may be trafficking criminals. Mm-hmm. They may be trafficking both. Firearms. Mm-hmm. Stolen identities. Stolen identities. When they get up to the valley, what is? who's to say that they're just going to drop... You, you know, they're going to allow these people to just get out of the car and your child's going to drive off. Nope. You know, why nope. wouldn't they? Why, your child is a perfect opportunity for them to be trafficked. Yep. Your car is a perfect opportunity for them to turn a quick buck 
and steal your car and head southbound and pick up another load drive it across the border and sell it real quick and cheap there's nobody going to track it you're not going to know it's gone you, you, people it's are not realizing four hours away that's, i was just going to say that the time the time and distance is so minute it can be done in a, in a work day yeah. and people don't understand the fact that this shit still happens. i don't know if i'm sure you remember but there was a, a rash in like 2009 10 11 maybe into 12 where it was just drop house after drop house after drop house in, in west phoenix and it usually came about there would be a hispanic male and the type of human trafficking that I did, it was predominantly Hispanic, Honduras, Guatemala, Mexico, yeah. South America, all that, not just Mexico. They were Latin. Yes. Where there would be a Hispanic male that would be seen running down some neighborhood road with no shoes on, screaming yep. and yelling. That happened dozens of They'd times. Escaped They'd escaped out a window correct. or something. Yeah. And people don't realize that they get their shoes taken away. Yep. So, so that they can't run. Because it's it, 200 degrees yeah, outside. The asphalt's 200 degrees. Right. They're not going to run too far. That's, I but, mean, yeah. I was with the Phoenix hike teams. I've been in the houses. I've been in the drop houses. I've done this stuff this shit is happening yeah. now so here's a funny story back in the day um i was on the motor squad so we were extra not patrols you know and they've got to, they've got to cover their minimum mm -hmm. beats in the city so we were extra staffing and they were doing the water walk so it was coming around getting warm and they wanted to warn people about you know watch your kids around mm -hmm. water so they wanted us to go through the neighborhoods and hang flyers on the doors and contact residents about you know be careful with your kids around water so we're walking through the neighborhoods hanging these flyers and knocking on doors well i had previously worked in new mexico as a dea agent so i knew what to look for and uh, we walked up to this house and there's like 25 of those little christmas tree air fresheners hanging from the lamp on the, the, on the, the felony forest fr yeah the felony forest freaking hilarious sorry that's awesome <laughs> i never heard that one really um, yeah that's a good one so felony Inter forest criminal interdiction that's a good one um hanging from the lamp uh, the porch light and it reeked, yeah. bro, reeked of marijuana. So fresh, not burned. So we walk away and immediately call task force. <laughs> they come over. They found, I can't remember, like 500 pounds of weed and a white van in the garage. Nobody in the house. Uh, of course, we set up on it. There was nobody there. Nobody escaped. Um, I don't know if they had abandoned it previously, but we found packaging inside where they had been unpackaging the bales. And for like another 2,000 pounds, they figured. Just the loose shake in the carpet that they vacuumed up was another 100 pounds or something, <laughs> of, you know, stems and seeds. And, yeah, it's all crap. And um, that was from the unpackaging and then repackaging mm -hmm. and smaller stuff to distribute. And uh, God, it was crazy. But I mean, it, we, we called it the pot walk after that because it was the water walk. And then after that, you know, it was the pot walk because we found a huge stash and it was it was in glendale you know in a nice neighborhood and people were shocked it's everywhere. and i was like dude it's why are you shocked yep that and that's just one of these things where it's everywhere the people don't understand and i say the people the people you know just the community as a whole don't understand that they are picked up in maricopa county oh yeah this stuff happens on the the border of mexico yes but it happens they're getting picked up and brought into our communities yeah. and again we're not talking sanctuary cities here we're not talking politics we're not talking the policies we're talking the actualities of human beings that yeah. are getting smuggled well and, and like you called it a hub this is where the major interstates um combine and rel 
rail system yep. is right here in Maricopa yep. County. And this is where everything gets spread as the hub, like you said. And it all goes out from here yep. to Chicago, New York, L.A., Canada. I mean, it goes everywhere from here. And um, if nothing's being done here, the counties south of us, you know, um, Yuma, everywhere. Hell, Yuma, most of the people that cross the border in Yuma are from foreign, not their um, OTMs other than Mexican. Okay. Um, they're Chinese, Bangladesh, uh, Saudi Arabian, you know, all kinds of weird There's a, stuff a direct, right across there. A, um, an amazing uh, videographer who's actually doing like real journalist shit who went down with um, the Cochise County Sheriff and maybe Pima County. I'm not sure. His yeah. name's P Peter Santanello. Oh yeah, the dude is amazing, and he showcased all he's this real. stuff. He's real. He's just he just takes his little yeah. GoPros and yeah. goes and films shit. But on that note, though, again, in my human trafficking days, I had maybe a dozen other than Hispanics. I'll just call mm -hmm. them. I had a few uh, from Chinese origin, a few from uh, India, India uh, uh, origin, right. not Indian, but India. Well, I guess I would make them Indian. Um, but the majority was all Hispanic. And when I was watching this Peter Santanello video that just came out within the last eight months or so, man, there was people from all over the world, not not just Hispanic in Latin America, but all over yeah. that were coming across. And I was like, man, that's a huge shift that's happened. And that, I mean, the enforcement needs to be here. We need well, task Well, it's a big force. recognition, too. You go down and look at the government signs north of the border that give direction on how to call for help yeah. if you need rescue. What language are they written in? I, I don't know anymore. Spanish. Okay. Anything? Chinese. Oh, my God. And I th some Middle Eastern language. Probably Pakistani. I, I don't or, know if it's Pakistani or Arabic. or Arabic. I think it's Arabic. But I don't, I'm not sure because I can't read it. But it, that's what it looks like, the squealy language. Understood. But I'm like, dude, Really? Really? That's, think about that trek from the Middle East to Mexico to here and how much that cost. Okay, well, I mean, yeah. And so some of the stuff that I do know about, they're, you know, once they get it, these people get across the border, they're dumping IDs and mm -hmm. everything that they have that's identifiable. They're finding piles of it. Some of it is receipts from resorts mm -hmm. in Mexico where they're spending $1,000 a night to stay in exclusive resorts, but they're coming here for asylum? What the hell? And, and their IDs, they're dropping their IDs. So who are they once they identify themselves to us? We I, don't know, and we can't verify it because, you know, these other countries... Some of them don't even document their date of birth. Right. You know, they don't even know. And so who in the hell are they? We don't know. And why is it controversial to want to know who's coming into our country? That I don't, I don't understand. Think so. I don't think so either. Yeah. Our government checks the hell out of me when I fly. Right. But they don't want to know who that guy is. It's right. coming from somewhere else. I mean, hey, it's, it ain't fair. You it's know, not. I was born here. I was raised here. And, you know, they want to everything but probe me in private places, you know, <laughs> just to fly from here to DC when I went back for a police week, honestly. And, you know, I'm carrying police ID and still, you know, and then, but somebody coming in from another country that they don't even want to know, see their ID, they, you know, to get on an airplane, all they have to show is their immigration right. 
um, supposedly show up in five to ten years for a court date. That's your ID. The the thing that some bitch. I don't think the public understands also is that the term asylum seekers is used and all that good stuff. Do I believe that the over excuse me the overwhelming majority are escaping terrible circumstances that are trying to make a better life for themselves? Hundred oh, percent, yeah. absolutely. Hundred percent, absolutely. Should we allow those people in? Yes with documenting them, fingerprinting. Oh, my yeah. fingerprints are on file. Oh, yeah, my social security number yeah. is on file. Like, yeah. again, know who these people are. We have people here that are in bad circumstances right. too. Right. Yeah. You know. And But the lie that's being, that's being told to them is about the process of coming to America oh, by yeah. the cartels. And what's waiting for them. To exploit them. Oh, yeah, them. that's crap. Yep. And, you know, well, it's not just the cartels that it's doing it either. And that's what really chaps my ass. Um, the advertising on how to get here and, and, you know, what's waiting for them yeah, and, yeah. and how great it's going to be. And they get here and then they get all pissed off because they're finding out it's not true. Well, I apologize. You know, that sucks. That sucks. You know, they're being sold a, a crap bill of goods and lied to about what's waiting for them here. And it's just not, that's just dishonest. Yep. And, and it's people's lives. So wrong. And it's they're they're being played as pawns in a 100%. political game, and and politics sucks, man. Um, and you know, politics is is really nasty, and I I really didn't want to get involved. And, and hell, here in Maricopa County, politics is just so nasty. It can be so vicious, and the attacks. Arizona I've has a attacked. corrupt past. Oh, it it's got a corrupt present. Agreed. Um, I've been attacked. I've been sued. Um, there's hack, um, reports coming, you know, from a political opponent and for people to use personal attacks for political gain is just reeks of desperation Agreed. and cowardice Agreed. um, and just to lie about somebody's personal life and attack. You know, I've had to explain things to my kids that I never wanted them to know happened and it wasn't necessary that they knew happened. Um, my, and, you know, my youngest is 27 years old. I've got six grandkids. Like I said, I'm old. Um, <laughs> but I, I've i protected my kids from things that happened in the past that they didn't need to know about. Um, things that their mom did, you know, that they just didn't need to know. Right, 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 right. Because um, it, it didn't affect them. And, and she did it out of spite. And it was to wound me and it, you know, and it was dishonest and it didn't need to involve them. But now because I'm in politics, somebody's trying to attack mm. me on it. And it was a lie 25 years ago and it's a lie now, but trying to use that for political gain is the most cowardly thing you could do. And it's just, it reeks of desperation. And if you have to go there, you uh, it's just the most despicable thing you could do i'd never do anything like that to someone to anyone right um my you know I, my worst enemy in the world i would never attack like that right you know uh, publicly or or personally and you know i i really don't have any enemies but um even, you will even somebody no <laughs> not on a personal level right right um because I don't make things personal. It doesn't need to be. Um, it's politics. Which makes it automatically not personal. But 
people take it to a personal yes. level. And, and that just shows, first of all, their lack of character and their lack of um, ability to lead properly. And anybody that, you know, goes down that path in politics is it, it shows automatically, you know, that's the biggest turnoff for me. Anybody starts making personal attacks, you're just that automatically turns me off. I, I, and I would never I would never want to work for someone like that. It's disingenuous like that. Oh, yeah, it's disingenuous. And just like you said, it's it's the lowest form. I mean, how many times have you been involved in an argument, whatever the whatever the oh, argument yeah. may be with whoever it may be, and you're debating facts and the next thing you know that person's losing and they resort to the personal attacks oh yeah keep it's it bullshit yeah stay on focus bro no. you know <laughs> debate yeah. me on the merits yeah. of what i'm talking stay about stay on the merits and you know stick stick to the topic um there's no reason for anything to get personal there's you know have some respect and if there's no respect shown it it just shows lack of character Agreed. and and it really should show people how that person will be, you know, because talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words, Amen. you know, and look, look at what a person's done and look at how they act and don't just look at what they say. You right. know, I can make promises all day. Look at what I've done. Um, talk to people that know me and, you know, you've gotten to know me a little bit and, you know, your general assessment of me like you said earlier when you first met me um that's an honest opinion um if you want to know honestly what i'm like call me let's go have coffee we'll sit down i'll pay i don't care i'll buy you coffee <laughs> let's sit down and talk i i've had i had five meetings last week with people that wanted to meet me and ask me questions let's let's sit down and talk no um i don't care if you want to get to know me if you have some questions Call me. Yep. Shoot me an email. If you know, if you don't want to meet in person, you know, if it's you know logistically not possible, right? Ask me questions. It's on the website. It's CrawfordForSheriff.com. Um, I have a Facebook page. Any, ask me. Yeah. I answer. And and on that note, that these are all the ways to get a hold of you. Yeah. So CrawfordForSheriff.com. Yeah. Is it Mike Crawford or just Crawford? It's um, the website is CrawfordForSheriff.com. Okay. Facebook is Mike Crawford for Sheriff. Okay. Um, there's Instagram. Now my wife filters all that stuff. Gotcha. Um, you wouldn't believe some of the political stuff. But um, Jamie does filter all that stuff. But um, I do answer the questions. And I, I actually spend a lot of time answering stuff. Nice. Um, and the answers are for me. You'll get it on, like, I think it's Instagram and messaging. You'll get an automatic response. Right, Thank right, you right. for your interest and blah, blah, blah. That's to let you know that the in that the message did come through, but any messages that come after that, any responses are for me. I'll answer anything. Um, and I, I, I don't mind talking to you. I love answering questions. And if you have a, we, we do animal rescue is a big deal. Okay. The, um, there are things that the sheriff is statutorily tasked with. We talked about that in constitutionally, um, animal rescue, search and rescue. And those are going to be a huge part. Um, I have two rescue dogs. One is my retired service dog. She's 13. That's Weta. Um, she's a beagle bulldog. Interesting combination, <laughs> but she's gorgeous. And our newest, um, and you can go on Facebook and stuff. We post pictures of them all the time. Our newest is Kingston. He's a 15-month-old XL American bull. 
Um, he's 15 months and he's 150 pounds. He's a beast. <laughs> he's a big boy. And he's such a lover. He's so sweet. But he's being trained up to be my service dog. Um, he helps with a lot of issues. Um, so let me let me like PTSD and stuff like that. I'm just going to ask sugar. you, and I'm going to come out and ask the question. Yeah. You have been extremely open and honest. Absolutely. Do you think that admitting to the to issues that you have is detrimental to you? And how are you going to be able to fulfill the position? with what you've stated that you have. So I've had these issues since 1991. And it hasn't bothered you at all. two police academies, okay. and I served in law enforcement for 28 and a half years. Bring it. There's your answer. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about that, saying, how, yeah. do I, how do I ask this question? Yeah, no, I, um, I've had arthritis, um, a broken, I, I broke my back in 1991. Right. Um, there's speed bumps in the road, and... Um, sometimes there's obstacles and you work around them. Um, I am disabled. I ain't no cripple. Gotcha. And being struck by lightning. Um, damn, that's weird. You know, um, <laughs> just to say it, it's kind of weird. Jesus. Uh, a meteor might as well fallen out of the sky and landed on me, you know? Um, but things happen in life for a reason. Um, and honestly, I, I look now, now I see it as a blessing. God changed my path and I went into law enforcement. I was able to touch a lot of lives and a lot of people touch me and have made me who I am today. And I understand a lot better about a lot more in people and about myself. Um, yeah, I have, I, I hurt, um, but shit pain pain hurts but it it sucks but it ain't the end right um some people get hurt and they let it define their whole life amen but i got better things to do now um i like living i'm I'm not a human being i'm a human doing nice i like that i heard that the other day and it rocked me <laughs> it really a, did that's a good statement man that rocked me i'm not just being i'm doing now um, and it's your choice. Yeah. And I think it says a lot about a person. If you look at what they're doing and or not doing or not doing in this case, um, in a lot of cases, my wife has MS, you know, we have a, it, that makes us such a great team too. Uh, MS is, MS is so cruel. Um, it's, it's such a crapshoot. Some days her, her, she can't walk. Um, she's a fighter though. Um, God, she's such an inspiration. I love her so much. She's so tough. Um, now I'm going to get emotional. Um, we went shopping the other day. She may have to be in a chair, but, um, when she was diagnosed, she was supposed to be in a chair five years ago. No, she's not yet. That is one tough girl. <laughs> and She's so damn tough, and she's such an inspiration. She cares so much. She fights so hard. And I'll be damned if she's going to beat me. I, I got to be tougher than her. You know what I mean? And we just out-tough each other. Um, it's a constant fight, and it's it's competition. Um, That's we're not both a that bad way. competition. We're both that way. <laughs> uh, we're both tough. And um, she's my best friend. And... Uh, we're never going to stop and we're a hell of a team, man. And, and that's never going to stop e even with MCSO. Um, 
she, she's not going to hold any positions at MCSO or anything like that, but she will be there as part of the family, you know, um, helping with the spouses and kids and grandkids. I mean, we're grandparents and we love kids. So, um, if anybody ever needs daycare or, you know, if, if you can't cover a shift cause you can't find a babysitter or something, Hey, give us a call. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll watch the kids. I don't care. Um, we'll be that. We'll be that for everyone there. Um, I'm going to be there for you. And I honestly mean that. I, I mean that sincerely. Um, and I'm like that for a lot of people. Um, we touch a lot of people in our lives that way. And I mean, it's just not MCSO, but I do want to be that person for them. And I, I honestly and sincerely mean that. Um, and I even mean that for Penzong. Dude, I, I joke around with him all the time. I have his personal cell phone number. I texted him not too long ago, a picture. Um, Jamie and I were out and we like to go out in the country. We have a side-by-side uh, razor that we take out. We were out by Lake Pleasant. It's closer to my house. Yeah. And I took a beautiful picture of the countryside, and it was in the middle of the week on purpose. And I said, man, retirement sure is fun. Look at this. <laughs> and he says, dude, are you trying to retire me early? And, yes. And, yes. you know, we, we banter back and forth. And I said, come on, man. It's beautiful out here. Retirement's awesome. But, you know, um, I'll do that for Paul. I mean, I'll babysit his grandkids. You know, whatever. Um, but I'm just that guy, and and that's not going to change. I don't. I'm not going to change. Me. I never have. Other than just to be better and more understanding and more caring. But I don't. I don't step away from my principles, and I never have, and I never will. But we can. We can make this place better. Yeah. Together, we can. And we will. Mike, you have, we have sat and talked for over three hours now. And again, I think we could go on for all day. And I, I want to get this out there, let this soak and marinate and get people interested in you and hear what you have to say. So what is next for your campaign? And what, what so we talked about how you can get reached, Mike, or Crawford.com, Crawfordforsheriff.com. Yep. Instagram. Facebook. Yeah, we have Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, MySpace. No, just kidding. That's showing you, my. Uh, you need my age, but... <laughs> right. Tom's your friend. Yeah. You need to hire uh, 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 Mark Lamb as your PR person. Oh, that would be the too best. Damn busy. <laughs> I know, right? And you know, he. We talk. I have his personal cell as well, and we talk all the time. Um, not as much now, actually. He's so busy with his Senate run, and. Uh, I'm supporting him 100%. I love Mark to death, and I really hope the best for him. Um, what I need is I need 10,000 signatures to get on the ballot. Okay. In Arizona, you have to qualify to be on the ballot. By when? March of next year. Okay. So you can go on my website. There's a nominate button. It doesn't cost anything. Hit the nominate button. It takes you to Secretary of State's website. Um, you enter in your voter information so it can verify who you are. You go all the way to the bottom, and it'll say Frank, because that's my my birth full name is okay. Frank Michael Crawford. Frank is a family name. Uh, my uncle and my grandfather were Franks. So, um, But I go by Mike. Um, it says Frank Mike Crawford and for Maricopa County Sheriff, and you just, um, if you qualify, if you're a registered um, Republican or independent and you're qualified in Maricopa County, it will show 
me on okay. your eligibility list, along with everybody that you're eligible to gotcha. um, sign their petitions. Senate races, um, city council, uh, mayoral races, anything. But mine will probably be all the way at the bottom of your list, and you can go over there and click to nominate me and sign my petition. And that gets the All that the does signatures. is nominate me and gets me on the ballot, okay. qualifies me to be on the ballot. Once you and, hit those 10,000 marks. Right. Um, our goal is 10,000. The minimum requirement, we believe, is going to be about 4,500. Okay. I would love to turn in 10,000. I won't get cha- sued and challenged again you, and like that I did always, last time. That kind of bullshit always happens because of signature verifications it's and blah, dirty, blah, blah, blah. It's it a dirty, underhanded backdoor trick that was pulled last time. Right. It cost me $4,000 to fight that. I did qualify at the end of it all. Um it's a dirty, underhanded trick that was pulled last um, election. I did qualify, and I was on the ballot. I almost took it. I only lost by 10 points. Okay. And I'd never run for office, and I was working full-time 40 hours as a cop, campaigning 40, 50 hours a week. Um, so that was tough. Now I'm retired. I can do it full-time. <laughs> but um, the other big thing, we're fundraising like crazy. This isn't cheap. Um, I get none of the money. It's all for advertising okay. and for the campaign. That's all it's for. Um, I have to get my name out there so yeah. people know to vote for me. Um, one of the big things, um, I never really talked about my story about the lightning strike and my godly path um, in 2020. Since then, I went through the EDMR, EMDR therapy, and I'm a lot more comfortable talking about it in public. That's was the main thing, and to help me deal with it, um, like getting static shock and things like that, just my day-to-day life. And like if there's lightning out, I'm not afraid to go outside. But... Um, now I talk about it more and it's just to be more open with people and to be more personable. Um, and you know, you'll never forget. I was struck by lightning. You know, you'll go, God, that's Mike. And that's why it's on the advertisement. You know, my, all my stuff has the lightning bolt on it, but, um, it's just to let people know who I am and where I came from a little bit better. And, you know, just to know me. People want sincerity. Yeah. They want honesty. They want truth. And they don't want to be bullshitted anymore. Absolutely. They're, they're fucking tired of the bureaucrats. And I apologize for my language. Um, they, they, don't want, they don't want the bureaucrats. Yeah. They're tired of the lying. They're tired of the typical same old, same old. Right. And, and that's what I'm about. And it, it makes it easier for me to talk to people. And just tell them who I am and, and where yeah. I'm from and why I'm doing this, you know. Um, and I'm like... I'm an open book. Ask me anything. I don't care. I think my we've... whole file from Glendale PD is available. Um, one of my opponents paid a lot of money, um, had it pulled. And as soon as he did that, I put it online so everybody can see it. Good. My, my DD-214, you want to see it? I'll show you. Um, my medical records to prove I was struck by lightning, I'll show you. That would be one hell of a story a to fake. Like... Yeah. I mean... I've seen people make up all kinds of crap. Yeah. I've, I've proven people weren't Navy SEALs. You know, somebody walks up to you and tells you they're a Navy SEAL. They weren't a SEAL. I'll tell you 100% they're full of shit. <laughs> right. um, and I've proven it. I know people who have access to the database, and I've proven them wrong. I've proven people were full of shit, and I love doing that because stolen valor is very important. Yeah. To me. Um, and that's why I'm very honest about, I was a mechanic, you know? One of the things, when I started this podcast, the only way I would ever be able to bridge the gap with law enforcement yeah. and get gentlemen such as you on is if I was honest about my past 
And if you watched my episode with Matt Thomas, right. that's where I said yep. to him, I'm going to do something you didn't know I was doing. With Pinnell County. And I was yep. open about my past. They arrested you. Yep. Yep. Because the only way I'm going to have any credibility at all is if I'm honest. Because yep. that shit's public record. Oh, no. I know. And the it's thing is, too. public record. Now they can't use that shit as a weapon against well, you. And that's like somebody coming out and saying, you know, that I did this or I got arrested for that or I've been charged with a felony. Bullshit. Prove it. Right. You can't. You know, and the article doesn't even have a name of who wrote the article. Really? And who reported it. There's no name. It's all it's all made up bullshit. And check my criminal history. I'll show you. Which is easy to do. Arizona Public Access. Everybody yeah. can go to it and, and Google shit. I'll show shit. you. It, it's blank. No. I've never been charged with a crime in my life. It was all investigated. You know what? Yeah. Let's my ex-wife was arrested for lying to the police. Let's do this. Yeah. I got full custody of my kids. I raised them for 12 years. The court would not give me full custody of my kids if I broke the law. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be a cop. You know, dude, right? You would not be. Yeah. So let's do this right now. Go for it. With the camera on. Camera can. Yep. I'll move out of the way here. There we go. I'll pull it up in a second. Arizona Public Access. And this is just put the icing on the cake. Yep. This is not planned, by the way. Nope. Arizona Public Act, Arizona Public Access. So last name Crawford. First name was Frank. Frank. Two Franks. I've had two Franks on the, mm -hmm. on the podcast. What year were you born? 14, 18. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. 1969, baby. Nice. There, just put the year in. Full, full, full disclosure. My birth date. Zero, zero. Is 8669. The primary election is on my birthday. So if you want to give me a birthday present, vote for me <laughs> on the primary. But there we go. We, we just pulled up your criminal record here in the state of Arizona, and it was a complete blank. Yes. So there you it go. is, and it will remain such. So, Mike. I've never been charged with a crime in my life. I'm. I cannot thank you yeah. enough for coming out no, here. I, I appreciate you. I thank you enough for, for doing this. Uh, we, again, I know there's stuff I missed. The one question that was asked was, they saw the picture of you and me and you had your gun on? Yes. What kind of 1911 do you carry? Depends on what day it is. I have a few. Okay. Um, the one you saw me, or the, my campaign gun, we'll call that. Okay. The one that everybody sees me with is a Kimber 1911. Not bad. It's uh, the medium size um, compact carry, and it's stainless, and the Grips I have on it are no longer available. Thank God I got them in time. They were from colddeadhands.com. Okay. And they are the copperhead snake grips with um, the Gadsden flag. Nice. Nice. And it's in the truck, actually. Do you know that the FBI considers the Gadsden flag a... Uh, a hate violent, symbol. A hate symbol. And yeah. That makes you a, a uh, what is it, a domestic violent extremist if you use that flag? So that flag came the first time it was ever flown and was designed by the first Marines of the United States that stood in the Civil War. Don't tread on me. Nope. And I wear it to honor them and what it actually stands for. Well, yeah, yeah, when it's not a perverted... Stand for my rights yeah, is all it means. A perverted use yeah. of a symbol. I thank you so much. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. I, this has been so much fun, and I've, I've enjoyed every second of meeting you. So if I am <laughs> able to get well. somebody that your opponent on, <laughs> it might be a little biased, but... Any of them. Right. But at the same time, though, I do... I do I like your vision. 
I like what you're about. I like what you've said. I like all of it. And I'm sincere. And if anybody has that. any suggestions or comments, let me know. Yeah. I would love to hear them. Um, I'll put all of your information up ideas, on everything. Um, I'd love to hear them. But um, we have some... I, I didn't get to talk about a lot of the minutiae of uh, the posse. The posse is going to be massive. I know um, at the height of the sheriff's posse here in Maricopa County, it was somewhere between 2,500, 3,000. Um, I'm looking to double it. Nice. Uh, Maricopa County was founded on volunteers, and volunteerism is a huge part of my life and always has been. And it's we're going to blow up the posse here. It's going to be huge. If you want to volunteer, if you want to serve your community, that's going to be the place to do it. And we're going to have massive opportunities to do it. And it's going to involve search and rescue. And it doesn't, you, you don't have to be armed. If you have an issue with being an armed person, that's, that doesn't have to play. Most of the um, posse members are not armed. So um, search and rescue, air rescue. Um, if you have an airplane and want to volunteer to be help mm -hmm. with air rescue, search and rescue, um, Jeep rescue, off-road rescue, um, land rescue, water rescue, um, animal rescue, search and rescue with animals, um, horseback. There's or disabled posse. Um, if you want to work the help desk, if you want to help with filing, if you want to answer phones, whatever you can do and want to do, um, I don't care what your disability is. We'll find something for you to do if you want to. I'm disabled. I've been a cop for 28 and a half years. Don't let a disability stop you. It's a roadblock. Go around that roadblock, press on, fight hard, adapt and overcome. The Amen. Marines have done it for years. You know, it's it's a good motto. Um, obviously, I'm not a Marine, but it's a good motto. It is. Um, I've used it. Um, there's so many things we could do. We're going to youth posse. We're going to get um, young people involved. We're going to do so many massive things um, with with everything in the county. Um, I have a lot of ideas. It's going to take a long time to implement them. I know that. I'm not biting off more than I can chew. We're going to do these in stages and steps in an organized process. And if you can get the buy-in, though. Yeah. If you can get the buy-in, though, that will get will. the people on board. Yeah. We have to get rid of the Melendrez lawsuit and get it timed out so we can save some money so then we can apply the taxpayer money properly yeah. and get more deputies on the street to protect us. Um, we've been the fastest growing county for a long, long time. Amen. And we've had dwindling law enforcement services. We need to get more officers out there on the road to make sure we are safe. That's all. Um, I don't believe in a police state at all. We work for you. Let us work for you and let us help you. That's all. Not, I don't want deputies out there overseeing people. Right. We're out there to help you. If you get a flat tire, we'll help you out. If you need, you know, help in the community, um, somebody to watch over the kids in the school. Um, we just want people to feel safer. That's all. That's all. That's not a bad mission. That's all I want to do. That's it. Thank you. And I do it because I care. That's awesome. Well, thank, thank you, you, sir. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and, and thanks for having me and giving me the time. Crawfordforsheriff.com. Crawfordforsheriff.com. Instagram, Facebook, all the fun stuff. And Mike Crawford for Sheriff. There you go. Yep. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it.